Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. I've always taken my health very seriously, but I must admit it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. Now, I don't care what you do. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well. How's it and welcome back sports fans. This is Moving the Needle Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Nietling. This is again one of those fun listener questions, random shows where I bring on Miles Kelsey, an old friend with a crazy amount of experience. But we have a surprise guest, which me and Miles are stoked about. Sven Martin is in South Africa, and we've roped him in to do one of these random shows with us. You guys have been um, sending in questions for him. He's actually just disappeared and sounds like he's gone to the moon. So not sure what's going on there with Sven. Sven, I'm doing a live live intro. The spin cycle in the washing machine is going ballistic. It's like 8,000 RPMs in the background. It's only got one minute to go. <laughs> Okay, don't worry. We uh, This is a live show. This is the random oh, show. Where, so we started off with a bang. Sven Martin, always a friend and uh, opinionated guest on the show. How's South Africa been so far? Back to your roots. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, it's, it's not just me coming here. There's nearly every single pro pretty much like 80% of the cross-country World Cup field comes to um, South Africa and more importantly, Cape Town. Um, 
for the weather trails and good food and, and, and healthy lifestyle. And then, um, it's just the right time of the year to be here. So, uh, you know, mixed between New Zealand, South Africa and Italy, it's like you can't go wrong. Yeah, it makes me think of when you used to come out and we would get like magazine covers and all sorts of shoots and stuff. And now the whole world's cotton on to the quality of trails, which Miles and I chat about, um, the weather. Uh, Miles texts me, he's like, it's not every day you randomly run into a guy that's got a monster lid on that kind of looks like someone. And it was Amri, wasn't it? You just randomly bumped into him and Teo. So random, there's a Wednesday night beer ride here in town, like from our doorstep. And uh, I finished a big project. I, I was oblivious to the ride or where they start. But while I was out on Signal Hill, Table Mountain, all the trails there, I did see this group moving around, but I was on an e-bike and just sort of on a mission. Get to the top of one of the favorite trails, the Glen. I'm sure you guys have ridden it and shot it and played on it. And uh, I see this map, probably 40 riders amassed at the top of this trail. And I just think to myself, I'm going around them into the front. I don't know who they are, and I'm definitely not riding in their dust. <laughs> and so I do that, and I hear the old chirp, and I drop into the trail. I see two riders ahead of me drop into the trail on, like, XC kind of bikes. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just go down. I'm following them down, and the pace is okay. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a commensal tempo. Like, I didn't realize they were in South Africa already. I was like, wow, good out, good one, Nico. Like, you got them here quickly. That's awesome. And I'm like, but why has this guy got monster stickers on the back of his helmet? I mean, what an idiot. Only athletes, right? Yeah, what a kook. Like, what a chop. Totally. Then Teo's in front. Teo stops and Amri stops and at halfway down the trail. And that's immediately when I realized who I was following. Like, I had no idea until they stopped because the trail's busy. And it was a bit dusty. And the, I mean, the, the pace was steady. But um, yeah, that's testament to how many of the world's best are here in Cape Town. You can literally roll from your doorstep and bump into, well, not Yolanda this year, but like a World Cup rider, World Cup XC rider, World Cup down rider, just shredding on your local. And to be fair, I'm to be fair, Amri's never ridden that trail. It was his first run and rolling really slowly, which is why I never thought it was him. I was like, there's no way I'm rolling up behind Amri. But anyway. Well, he was riding behind Teo, so that explains the slow pace. Um, but uh, <laughs> what I like most about your story is that you saw a group of 40 riders and without even knowing who they were, who they were, you just knew that you were the fastest, so therefore you had to go down first. So... <laughs> Um, hats off to you. You must be have all the all the all the KOMs in, the, in that neck of the woods. When you get north of fifty, there's a bit of wisdom that comes with that number, and there's no ways I was going to eat that dust down that trail, dude. When you're the mayor of Cape Town mountain biking, you do what you please, Miles. I like that. Now, <laughs> what I will say is, I haven't seen Amri ride at any sort of normal checking out trail pace because they did. Put on social media they were out here doing a certain project brendan and amory sven was involved shooting pics getting some work again after a bit of a hiatus and i will say that man knows one speed because we almost witness him not make the first race which is in june because that speed he was going and Ooh. that almost crash he had and he loves it he he was he was really enjoying the filming south africa they 
came down with a little bit of a stomach bug. So, uh, yeah, the foreigners really got, got taken out and I had some fevers and stuff. But it was really cool because he flew his trainer out and he's been before for a filming project and he realized uh you know the weather's great he's been in andorra it's so cold and he was going to get some riding in and good food it was pretty rad to see yeah i always always wonder when i see riders like him um finales is another one and you see in the off season um whether they're riding their downhill bikes or their or their trail bikes or even sometimes some of them on, on their motorbikes you like you wonder how sustainable that off-season paces um, and even especially with Armory when they did those last year or the year before last when he had the bigger injuries um, you it's almost inevitable that riding that pace at some point you're going to get hurt and, and with the season only starting in June this year it's um, I'm sure we're going to see not necessarily by by him or, or those names I mentioned but there's probably going to be some like non-starters because there's such a long wait until the season starts proper that I'm, I'm sure we can have injuries before june yeah yeah and amory i mean that's a good I, point yeah picked him up off the plane and i said are you healthy you know because he had some niggles and stuff and he had uh, i didn't even know but he'd broken his collarbone on his motorbike in november so he said yeah. he was at dorno land or whatever that amazing place is and he said he got excited and turns out that when you crash at speed on a motorbike you get hurt i was like no shit sherlock but he just he, he loves biking he loves these guys love going fast like once you get a little bit comfortable the speed does increase and i think like you say if these guys are spending a lot of time on their downhill bikes doing prep they're gonna get more comfortable they're gonna they're gonna be sort of you know ants in their pants wanting to get going and that speed is going to increase and you're right we might have some non-starters at that first race you know with people getting pretty excited needles how did you manage the the off-season and pre-season and staying injury-free because you never had too many injuries when you were like right at the top right yeah touch wood but i mean is is that would that have is that why i didn't maybe fulfill all my potential all the time but i had basically an injury-free touch wood career until like the second last race but you can't do that anymore. Um, and, I, and I think it's exactly, you've got to plan the off-season with your coach. Reese, I watched a pretty cool video of him, and he mentions he's riding his downer bike, then he puts it in the shed again. And then I would do off-season races, but we would have a plan. Like that was either bike time or it was working on something, and I knew I was probably going to get my ass kicked because I wasn't willing to risk it. And then as you get closer to the season, that's when you probably want to increase the speed and you're riding more. And and, and I think you need to have a plan in place because if you're just going out there riding fast all the time, you're going to have these crashes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the top three, the top five, the top three at World Champs all had injuries during the season last year. So it, to ride at the pace to win a race and to be top three, I don't see how you cannot pick up some kind of injury uh, maybe it's not a season ending ending injury but like all three of those guys that were um either missed rounds or almost missed rounds due to injury and that's last season and i think that's going to be a pattern of the future um and now with this slightly compressed season this next one which is like starting so late um 
you know, other than like all of July where you could probably recover from something, um, you know, if you pick up the injury at the wrong time, they, you know, there goes your, your overall because there's, uh, you know, no throwaway rounds. And um, yeah, so, you know, they, that's, there's all these reasons for having a, a longer season, you know, Supercross has started, the surfing season has started, um, F1's going to start way before the mountain biking. There's, you know... We can't call ourselves a professional sport with four months racing on the calendar. And, and in one of those four months, there is no racing for four weeks. So, you know, um, transition year. So I'm sure the goal is to have more rounds or more spaced out or, or more workable calendar or more continents visited. But um, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's hopefully going to be only better from here on out because June to October is not really a, a professional sport, in my opinion. And October is late as well for weather-wise, really. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a gamble at that time of the year. You know, you could have great weather or you could have uh, sub-zero snow. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it, how it works out. What do you think the pros will do? Do you think they will go somewhere and find uh, B-level racing and national series racing sort of around March, April, May just to get stay fresh and keep their rhythm like the seasoned pros who are used to racing fast from say early april will they look for races to compete in or will they just wait for june well right now everyone's kind of at these um i won't even call them test camps yet it's a bit early for test camps but they're all at um team camps um the syndicate are out in new zealand and australia Armory flew back from South Africa straight to Portugal, I believe, for a team camp. Um, Specialized being in California, so I think I think the big teams know to keep their athletes sort of busy year round. You know, they they got to have some on bike time to supplement the training that they're doing. It's no longer off season work. It's you know they got to get kind of. I'm sure they're even going on the clock at some at some time. And then you have a couple of riders that will come back. To New Zealand for Crankworks, but um, and then you'll have the test event 20th of April in Lord, possibly or probably the the World Cup test event, um, and then like last year, how we saw those races in Portugal and at Armory's Trails in Briot. Um, I think there's going to be there's nothing really heavily announced or on the calendar, but I think there will be some definite like I think May we'll see a lot of. Uh, sort of bigger events with or more competitive events. There'll be small events but with big names added because the only way to train for racing is racing and, and uh, you know, these guys are going to be itching and they're going to need to be in Europe and, and then they would have done their suspension testing and they would have been on the race set up um, and ready to go and, you know, you can't go to the first World Cup um, not having raced against the clock, I think. The only one benefiting from all these delays sure. is, is old Manar who's, like, had another fixed up another niggling um i don't know if it's a new injury or just repairing an old injury um, i know he did have hand issues last year um which i may or may not have had something to do with but uh he he's the only one that's probably loving the late start you know well i was gonna say there's two baskets of riders there's the young super motivated one where this off season can be really good for them if they've got certain fitness they want to increase if they've got bike skill stuff they want to increase you know like your Laurie and um, Jackson I mean they're in New Zealand already they're doing laps upon laps but then the other basket say a Manar if he wasn't injured it's a long off season to stay motivated 
to get the training done, then get up to speed and then be firing in June. But you've kind of got to start in December, like the normal time. So I think there's a fine line between keeping motivation and then burning yourself out in this off season. So some people might do a heavy block like Matt Walker, who's you know very motivated, dedicated to his training and his plan. And then maybe you have to taper it down for like a few weeks and then build like a second off season and then ramp up. So that's my worry is some of these guys are going to maybe burn themselves out. The, you know, the older statesmen, they've been doing it a long time. Yes, they only race a few months a year, but it's on your mind is how do I go quicker? What do I eat? How am I sleeping? You know, if you're really dedicated to, to the sport, which is top guys are. Yeah, I think like Sven, you mentioned super motocross season and I think what are they've got 30 or 35 races this year. It's a combined series running from Jan to the end of October, maybe like four weekends off in that whole stretch. And that's real racing. You're totally right. Like that's a real world championship. Like that's, that's maybe a bit too many for mountain biking, but you know, as you say, I completely agree with you having everything compressed into four months isn't great from a fan and sponsorship point of view. And uh, I just, uh, I know this, I know it's a transition year and everything. I'm not having a go at Chris Ball and everyone, but I just hope they, you know, Red Bull really did things well. I, I, I mean, things were, things were on the up before Red Bull, but they were from a low base and Red Bull really took the sport to another level. And uh, I, I'd love to see this series, you know, World Cup downhill, 10 rounds, you know, even if six or seven of them are in Europe to minimize travel, you know, um, I just, I just, four months of racing is, it's shitty. I'm just going to call, I'm just going to say what I think. I think it's shitty. I, I hope it changes next year, but um, I mean, maybe you guys see Andrew smiling. Maybe you guys know more than I do already. And that's why you're laughing at me, but I just, no, I love pres- it. I, pressure's on there. I discovery. thought I was getting, I thought I was getting Sven on for the literally, you know, no sugar coating, say it how it is, which is great. Like we're all, my dad, you say opinions are like assholes. We all have one. So, um, we all have these opinions, and uh, I mean, of course, just factually, of course, we want more racing. Even as racers, you want more chances, you know. Uh, I mean, these guys have got salaries to earn. They've got sponsors to impress. They've got pressure, and they're young men. Like, no, got to chicks to career. pull. Like, you, there's not enough races. They've got chicks to pull. Hundred percent. Not enough race. Not enough time between races to recover. Um, yeah, I just think like they, they've got to earn it. So, yeah, go spend. Yeah, no, I mean, Red Bull were never responsible for setting the calendar, so we can't, like, there's no pointing the pointing the finger. But, yeah, for, for sure, you know, it'd be good to see, you know, besides the more racing, it'd be good to see, you know, return to racing in Australia, World Cup racing in New Zealand. Um, there's more than enough tracks. I mean, we see it, and there's, it's the right time of the year to, to visit places like Africa, New Zealand, Australia, South America. You know, there's a healthy scenes. Um and that's what the EWS used to do, um, travel, you know, a lot more diverse locations around the world. Sadly, it's kind of going away from that, which which is another whole topic we can maybe bring up later. Um, so, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's just what the, you know, you want, when you have the set the standard for what you want the broadcast and the delivery of the event to be, the biggest challenge is then the cost of having a, events outside of Europe, um, and then even more so when you're heading to like a different hemisphere. Um, but it's obviously been done and should be done, so I'm sure that is on on the on the plans for the future. 
but then also, you know, that the teams have been led dry um, for the threefold cost increase, if not more, if you're running two or three disciplined teams. Um, you know, it's another cost to incur, and you know, more. It's it's uh, you know, it's tricky when 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 the when the teams are essentially almost funding. It, it seems funding a lot of 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 this year's racing. Um, and how much extra are they getting back? And the riders certainly aren't getting anything extra back, at least this year, in terms of salary. Um, you know, which this year would have been the best time to make a statement and say we're good for the sport, we're taking over, and guess what? We're doubling the prize money year one and going up more after that. You know, instead we heard that we're going to wait when they can bring more money in before they'll pass it on. You know, which I, I sure hope does happen. But. Uh, you know, not even considering that with all the money that must have flowed around in this deal, you know, it's a bit of a slap in the face to the riders that, you know, haven't had any kind of prize increase. In, in fact, they've had, you know, prize decreases. Um, but, uh, yeah, shit, I don't even know what, 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 what tangent I'm going on right now. Um, I think we just all, all three of us, oh, there's my surf buddies. Hold on, I've got to turn WhatsApp off because I'm getting surf reports coming in. Hold on. Uh, yeah, but we're quick. about to lose Sven if the waves are firing. So turn the WhatsApp off. Hang on. The best part about um, these Euros, Brendan and Omri with their like immune systems or um, uh, like we all grew up in Africa and in South Africa and we like played in streams and ate beach sand and, you know, we got pretty strong, resilient bodies. Luckily for me, the day the surf was literally the best all this year was the day Brendan and Omri were like just stuck on the toilet or or um, bent over a trash can. <laughs> so uh, it, thanks, boys. It timed out um, real perfectly. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> well, the, speaking of the tangent, so we did. Uh, we obviously do listener questions, but we pushed the listener questions more towards Sven because he's our special guest and mate of the show. And you've just touched on some. <laughs> From Instagram, John Winters sent some awesome feedback on the podcast. I can't imagine Sven doesn't have strong opinions about the forthcoming season changes. What does this change for the elite and junior riders? And what's his opinions how the coverage will change for his viewers? So you touched on some of it, but maybe if there's other things that come to mind on that topic, and then we can move around on some general listener questions and getting to know Sven more. You, you guys um, covered it. Most like you guys had a podcast literally on the day that second or third press release came out, and and you guys kind of mentioned you questioned, you know, they've obviously added this semi final, this this extra race. So now you've got three race days. You know the 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 seeding, the semi, and the final. Um, this was done almost to throw. That was the intention all along to have a thirty man final. And all the riders and teams said, no, under no circumstances, we don't want to cut to that. So it's almost like they've put it in there as a semifinal instead of a final, instead of cutting straight to 30 riders, um, just as a way to appease the riders. And instead, it's almost made it worse for the riders now because now they've got to perform twice on, on race day. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is what they want all along and come next year, it's going to go straight from seeding to 30-man final which is not good for the future of the sport in, in the long term, especially with no other strong feeder series. So I'm, I'm worried about that. Um, and then you guys touched on it. It was like, 
how if you're watching live sports as a consumer, not necessarily as a core mountain bike fan, but say you're, you know, say you're some one of the guys that used to go through Red Bull and see, oh, mountain downhill, mountain bike, that, that was cool. How long can it hold your attention? You know, how long can a uh, golf goes on long, cricket goes on five days? So it should, you know, but for a live show, if you're having the intention is to do all full runs. Oh, and then the other thing is that's worrying me. If you read the last or listened to the last podcast, um, the worry of the courses being standardized to fit in this full run format of like sub three minute downhill race runs. Um, we'll, that's another whole topic we'll talk about in a moment. But, you know, you've got 30 riders and then you've got 10 women, so it's 40. And then they say they're going to show some junior riding. Um, that's, you know, that's already longer than the Red Bull podcast, a uh, Red Bull live feed um, to show that many riders. Um, so in terms of a package, it's it's not really, you know, they want to reduce the field, but they're showing more of the run. Um so the the problem is like the 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 feed is going to be too long anyway, and and there was you know there was nothing really wrong with the old format of only showing the top thirty riders that made the live feed or the top twenty that made the live feed. Their only worry was missing a rider that went off like fiftieth or or you know fifty fifth, and then he ends up being top three or top five. But the filmers, the the cameramen are there anyway. They should be filming every run in the entirety. I mean, they're there to do a full day's work, not just film like you know two hours of racing. So really, that can easily be avoided. But um, you know, what? So what the? Going back to what I touched on, my worry is in the downtown podcast with Chris Ball was the word standardization came up a few times. And that is, to me, like the complete wrong word for any kind of downhill event. And I'm sure he's meaning the format and the scheduling. But if you're trying to standardize each race's broadcast or, or how each race is broadcast, there's a big worry there because there's a big difference from we've had brilliant, you know, two-minute 40 tracks and we've had brilliant four-and-a-half-minute tracks. And are you telling me there's no future in the in the downhill from here on out to have three-minute-plus tracks? You know, how many epic sections of tracks are going to be either cut short or not even entertained as a World Cup venue because it doesn't fit the format for a standardized live feed of showing complete runs, you know? Um, You can't, like, just suddenly show these short three-minute tracks. So then you're changing about what the sport of Daniel is and having a varied World Cup circuit that that has, you know, that certain riders shine on certain tracks and other riders shine on other tracks. You know, that's the whole beauty of a series that you have different events and that they're all very different from each other um so that's that's my worry but i don't want to you know i'm not harping on it as a negative because none of us have seen how it will unfold and, and there's, there's a lot of potential but i'm you know a lot of the reasons for doing certain things is, is going to be tricky to deliver because the semi-final that we were promised we're going to have extra racing to witness we, we won't be much time to witness any of the semi-final footage because it's done an hour before the final so there'll be no edited stuff maybe a bit of live stuff on social media you know and stories and, and stuff and maybe like one crash or one something will make the highlight real on their Wednesday night Wednesday show they talk about but this additional racing is not giving the fans anymore anything else to view um, and they haven't said when we're going to see the junior racing that they promised we're now going to see. So um, still a lot of unknowns. We are getting more and more info. Um, but, yeah, you guys cut in. I agree, I agree with you. 
I, I agree with you, Sven, completely. And I think like my five senses, the personality and brand DNA of mountain biking as it is really is, and something that really resonates with an audience around the world is that mountain biking is all about wherever you live, get on a bike, go ride the trails that are closest to your house, whether they're long, whether they're rocky, whether they're sandy, whether it's more an XC environment, whether it's more downhill environment, but get out into nature, have a good time and compete with your mates and um, wherever you are and whatever terrain you have in uh, close to you. So for me, it's exciting that a World Cup is always different. You know, XC might go to Germany where it Alpstadt will notoriously be wet and rooty and then they'll race in another area which is dry and sandy. Uh, lots of climbing, little climbing, downhill will have long tracks, slower tracks, techie tracks, pedally tracks, but it's all sort of in, over the years of World Cup being embraced as this is what the sport is. It's very diverse. We go to different regions, we race different lengths of tracks and it brings out, it inspires people around the world to go and ride wherever they live. Yeah. So I completely share your uh, reservations about if the that word standardized makes me makes me nervous as well. If it's mm. going to become too standardized, and kids around the world think, okay, unless you live near Morzine, you just can't become a mountain biker anymore. Um, there's like there's nothing to aspire to, nothing to inspire me. Then uh, then World Cups going down in the wrong direction. Yeah. What was Andrew? What is what is the what is the longest track that you raced and the shortest um, one? Think, think, think yeah, back I would to the say longest track and the shortest the, track. The Fort William and, and Mount St. Anne for myself in, in my yeah. generation. And then before that, there was these cap die and, you know, like longer tracks. And then the sport did evolve because you could say 20 years ago when downhill started, it was on X bike and it was a seven minute downhill and it was just as exciting. You could argue that. I don't know. And these things change and they morph. And we, you know, we can't be too resistant to change. But having a conversation with Amri and listening to the, the podcasts, um, and then I step back and obviously I have reservations or I have questions about are the correct 30 going to be in the final? Is 30 the right number? Could there be an LCQ? Can we mimic surfing where you hand out cards and there's injury clauses? Like we could go to a 30 man uh, and 10 female, whatever the number is. We could use the data and we could set a number. But apart from my reservations of how you set the number and how you protect riders, which I don't really know, I think that's going to change, is are we at the point where we might change the sport in terms of a comparison would be like a 100-meter sprint is a 100-meter sprint and it's in the Olympics. Tennis is in a court that's designed, you know, it's standardized. Downhill is famous and some of the friends that used to watch me and then explain it to other people and then I would get a naive person and say sorry what do you do no you do downhill it's like downhill skiing oh cool so how many chances do you get I said no you only get one chance so what do you mean you only get one chance you're like hurtling down a mountain rocks roots jumps 60k an hour and you get one chance to do your run and that's your result what if you get a flat what if you crash I'm like that's our sport so now in the series, you might be with the points bringing in like another run and you've got the semifinal and then you've got the final, like, and then we may be changing the sport to three minutes. I don't know. Are we maybe seeing a chance that they change the sport? 
and it's different to what we know is downhill. I mean, it's still going to be downhill, don't get me wrong, but that was like my one, like holistic, like are we maybe seeing something with a knock-on effect? I don't, I don't really know. I think there's going to be a lot of adaption, and he said it himself. They're willing to admit if they're wrong. They're willing to make changes, but they're also not scared to try things. So that was yeah, my but, one but you, question is like, fuck, are we changing the sport though? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, we've we got to see how it's going to go. But for sure, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with some tracks that are longer than others. And if it means you don't show the full run of those tracks, that's completely fine. Um, I completely agree. And, 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 and if something does happen on those missing bits, that's when the riders are meant to be having these onboard cameras they want to bring on. So there's the missing bits of track or the missing bits of action or, you know, whatever. There's anything you can edit in after. But, um, you know, it's, it's like you, you guys also touched on on your old podcast. What happens if you're not one of the top um, five protected riders um, from the season before and you seed first? And you say you're the sixth best in the world, and say you're actually leading the series. Say it's the three or four races, and you're leading the series, but you're still not protected. You seeded first, and you get a flat in the semifinal. Now you don't race the final. How is that good for the the show? How is that good for the sport? How is that good, you know, for downhill? Um, and then, yeah. So, so you know, there's there's like you said, maybe there's a few of those things that will change because those aren't rules set in stone that can maybe only be changed at the end of the year. Maybe they will realize just like the weighting of the point system in the semifinal, you know, you're making more points in the semifinal. If you finish 10th in the semifinal, than if you finish 10th in the final, which is, which is makes no sense at all. Um, but what everyone's sort of failed to notice or mention, um, I have like, quite a democratic approach to all disciplines of mountain biking. Not, you know, this is primarily a gravity downhill podcast, but, um, you know, the amount of stuff I see in marathon racing, marathon stage racing, cross country, um, and, uh, enduro now, because enduro is something we can all do like the three of us that are not currently, you know, downhill racing and, and riding downhill bikes as much as we used to, except for maybe you, Andrew, and Miles, you guys are still on downhill bikes and you ride them. But um, the, what's looking like is getting changed the most, if you're talking about changing racing, is the enduro format, the Enduro World Cup. Um, the previous 10 years of, of EWS history, it was, you know, we went to a venue. It didn't matter about infrastructure. It didn't matter about um, anything. We basically went to the, the best trails in every continent or subcontinent or country. And, and we only went to, you know, out of all the trails in South America, we pretty much just like, these are the best ones we have to hit up. And we went and did it. These are the best trails um, in Australia and in New Zealand. And in, you know, everywhere that EWS visited of it's like 10 year, you know, the last 10 years, um, especially in its earlier five, six, seven years were, always based on trail and now that's completely like trail is probably third fourth fifth sixth priority for where ews venue is now um i've heard from event organizers that had ews rounds last year they were told specifically that the ews would not be coming back unless they can also host host a world cup downhill Ludenville had to build a downhill world cup track if they wanted to have an EWS or have an events return there. So 
I can see where they're going to try have more double and triple events, but in the end of it, the enduro guys have been giving the short stick. There's no way. I hope I'm completely proven wrong, but there's no way good that is legal to ride in Leo Gang that can have EWS tracks um, unless they're going off to the back of Salbach that we don't know about, or or maybe they're building new new trails. The only good trails I've ridden in, in Leo Gang that aren't bike parky and jumpy are like illegal ones, and and they take the illegal trails are, are very illegal in in that part of the world. So is that and, why is that why Sam Hill's coming back to Daniel? Yeah, I mean those long, those long, those long, like Latwell when he would like descend for like fourteen, fifteen minutes down like something way gnarly and faster than any downhill track on the circuit. That's his. I would say the years he was winning as much as and as dominant as he was, it was also probably the best mix of EWS tracks, long multi days, two day racing. You know, four days riding your bike, no rest days, just like. And and he trained for it. Like maybe he, you know, after winning so many titles and picking up injuries, he wasn't as prepared. And then the sport shifted, and everyone, you know. So there's 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 a but those years, those were the, like the pinnacle of the EWS races, you know. Um, now enduro stages have got shorter venues. Have got you know we we used to race all the best trails for two days. Now we're racing three of the repeat trails or four of the repeat trails, you know, in one day. It's it's no longer an endurance discipline. It's become like a a small downhill, like a multi downhill, I would say, like enduro is now like multi downhill. You know, one one less practice, but uh, so you know it, that that you know, and in some of the schedules, the double events. I think um, Leo Gang, for instance, the enduro pro races are going to happen on a Thursday when the downhill practice is happening. So, how is that good for the sport of enduro? Who's going to follow? How are you going to, you know, for one, people like Eddie Masters and, and even if it was Jack Moyer wanted to race um, a World Cup, it's going to be impossible for a couple of multidiscipline riders. There aren't a lot of them that do, you know, that are at the top of both sports. Um, the pivot guys are usually right up there and, and a couple of others. But, you know, it that's doing a disservice to Enduro more than anything else. You know, you're going to have subpar venues, shorter racing shorter riding you're riding your bike for two days instead of four days or three days like we used to and um and the venues are not being they've been picked on for like logistical reasons and scheduling region reasons or you know packaging with multi-disciplines um you know that's and at the end of the day the the tracks aren't going to be as good and and I, and I don't care for all the people that have been whining for the last five years like the enduro coverage sucks. Like it doesn't matter. It's not a spectator sport per se. Like if you've done any, got been to any venue and done all the EWS tracks or done a, a qualifier or a EWS one hundred and eighty, it is a participation sport. And like I don't see the need to have to watch everything like live and and full. You know the the highlight shows. Yes, they could have been better or differently or been more story based and narrative. You know and followed stories um you know i i even think some of the older ews um, coverage was was better there was a few like sto more story based stuff but um wh where i'm going with that like it doesn't need to be changed to make spectator friendly because it's still not going to be live broadcast with all these changes with enduro only been two days we're not getting a full there's still not going to be a live show so it's still going to be an edited highlights package you know with a, a sort of a live coverage but Enduro is about testing the best riders over long and like difficult terrain all day 
and the bikes and the manufacturers and people really respect that because they know what it you know if you've done any of those events they know what it takes to survive and last and outlast the the courses and and make your bike work and and now it's you know that's all taken away really so so I don't see downhill being Andrew. What you were saying is downhill going to change as much. I don't see it being changed as much as as how enduro has been changed. Enduro is a young sport, you know, but it's almost gone away from its roots. And to me, you know, I, I enjoyed those old adventure enduro style races. You know, no, that's fair. I mean, you've you were you were really a big. Comp- a proponent of, of pushing Endura and, and getting it out to the masses where you say with the coverage, it wasn't for you and the photographers in the beginning. And you're probably right. Downhill, I think the strategy to as a racer may change a bit, but it's probably still going to look and feel pretty much the same. And I tell everyone is come June, there's a start line and there's a finish line and these top races are going to go hell for leather. So, but it's interesting points you bring up huh. on the Enduro. That's for sure. Um, Speaking how, of your passion, how many double, yeah. sorry, how many double or triple or quadruple weekends are there where there's XCO, XCC, Enduro, and downhill? All, so Le- Le- Leo and Gang, the marathon, all I think, I think Leo Gang is the only one where there's all three. Ludenville is just downhill and Enduro, and that that those pair pair well together because they can have non-overlapping schedules. Um, hopefully, okay. uh, and then. The other one was um, sorry, I'm just drawing a blank now. Is it the Le one? Jay is a, okay. What like the grouped one? The J is definitely. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it, isn't yeah, it worlds? Exactly. Isn't worlds also? Yeah. No, there's no yeah. enduro at world champs this year, which I was quite surprised with. With the ESO being based in Scotland and and taking over all things racing and having all the events, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised that and enduro becoming more UCI governed. Um, and a World Cup event. I'm, I'm very surprised that Enduro wasn't represented at this year's World Champs because they're not having a, a Nations Trophy, which was our kind of our Enduro sort of World Champs. The, the series was the World Champion. The series winner was the World Champion, and, and rightly so, um, especially with the, the nature, you know, the whole point of Enduro. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe it was just too many disciplines that they couldn't fit in Enduro um, to organize. But I, I was quite surprised that wasn't happening. But then the following year, in the is it the Valais region where it's uh, Crans Montana, Champery, um, and another venue that'll do all three at, three at three different venues. Yeah, I'm looking at the schedule sure. now. Like Sven said, there is Leo Gang for the are we, what do we call these? A quad event, and then yeah. um, France to BC, but we know it's going to be Port de Soleil as one of them. And then another one. So there's only three this following year, but you can see the trend. We could probably guess the trend. And then there's obviously quite a few triples, which are cool. They're always fun. And there's there's no way um, like you can do the Enduro and the Downhill uh, not, as not, a competitor. I think Lunville, there's a possibility because the, the thing is they haven't given us the daily schedule, but I have seen the, the daily and I think that Andrew, the French one is over two weekends. Is that right? If I remember the dates, Co- so that correct. One... I'm just looking at maybe an old article. Two BC, two BC, no, no. and they two different weeks. Yeah, there are two yeah, different yeah. venues. So, so, so that that schedule works out. I'm I'm more a fan of you know what if we're going to a region or we're going to have a double event. You know what? Uh, let's say Champere has better downhill, but Morzine has great enduro tracks. Let's you know 
to do it like that, but to plug and play in the same venue, especially something like Leo Gang, um, you know, maybe they'll surprise us because we've been surprised before, you know, thinking we'd go to Derby and have these terrible short little tracks with no elevation. And we had like, you know, one track of the year, like two years running. So um, we can always be made to eat our words. Um, we do trust that we'll come up with something good. It's just, um, you know, with, with this so, so many weeks where we're not having racing, then to, to double stack on top of other major events, like the first Enduro clashes with Crankworks, uh, the Crans Montana Enduro crashes with Stone King Rally and Crankworks. You know, we have, we have like count, we have like more than 12 empty weekends that are close to the season or mid season. Yet these events have been like double and triple stacked on top of each other. And, um, you know, that just makes no sense really for a, for a fan, for a spectator, for a media outlet, for a rider and for a team, you know, like, you know, work. It's a proper shit show. Yeah, yeah, and and then you know, and and then what worries me about Crankworks? There's this perfect opportunity, like, like everyone has spoken. Oh, well, Crankworks can just double down and and have this really amazing Daniel series. Up the prize money, have invitational, get athletes in, like how they wine and dine the slope style athletes. You know, do that to the top twenty Danielers. Get get them there and get some off season racing and and have a crazy broadcast but then you know the the couple of events we saw at the end of last season it it wasn't promising they didn't have a great live feed um you know as crankworks has been around a long time and it's a very important festival and race series um for many different reasons but they really just haven't done daniel right there's no you know there's no major pride or or bragging rights for winning a crankworks other king of crankworks or daniel overall because not everyone is competing. All the major teams aren't there. Um, you know, they haven't, I wouldn't say their production, other than the slope side, which is always always great, I wouldn't say their production has got better every year, for instance, like the Red Bull World Cup Daniel did. Um, you know, they've had Crankworks now also for like 10 years, and they've never even had a live broadcast of the Whipple, which has to be the easiest Crankworks event that you can have a live feed off. And it's the most, like, spectator fan friendly rider favorite and not once in the history of crankworks whip off world champs has there been a live broadcasted whip off you know it, it it's it's just mind-boggling how there's this like gap and nobody's stepping in to fill in this gap of like you know let's make the sickest not an alternative let's call it a supplement to the world cup series in, in downhill you know we need some proper funding and we'll sort all these things out. But uh, I think <laughs> I think it's fair, but I don't want to I don't want to digress here too much. We need to get to some there's some pretty epic Sven questions and some listener questions and and I think if we take this all listeners just with as feedback. We just we here as passionate fans on the side, Sven's in the trenches there. We just want we want it better for everyone. And speaking of that, so in summary, in summary, it's, so it's, that, that that last reader's question. In summary, it's basically uh, we are optimistic for the year. We're not being negative about it, but I'm more interested in the long term health of the sport in all disciplines. I'm, I'm kind of for the sport first, and then the racing and the riders secondary. I'm more about the health for the future of the sport in, in its different disciplines. So, um, and optimistic, yes. Uh, I bet I also think things can always be done better and differently. Huh. 
Oh shit, that's life. Everything could definitely be better. So yeah. that's fair. Um, all right. Speaking of your energy for the sport, so Fab, couscous. Years oh, after years, Sven still shouting at anyone the way of a shot, no matter who they are, riders, stopping, checking lines, fans, marshals, line spotter managers. The question is, where does he still find the energy? So, so, <laughs> that's so, so true, so, though. No, oh, he's not great. true. No, he hasn't. He hasn't. It is. Where do you true. still find the energy? Ah, no, but I'm not shouting at people anymore. And And in fact, the only people I shout at are people I like and know and are my friends. And, um, and Couscous, he's such a part-time racer, part-time team manager, full-time dad um, and husband. But he randomly shows up to these events that his team are like working hard for him and busting ass. And, and, um, and then he'll just show up as if he has like no idea that he's standing in front of everyone's shots, video, photos. And because it's couscous and he's been an idiot, I will. I still shout at him. So that's why he assumes that I have not stopped shouting at people. But yeah, I definitely. Um, it was never a selfish reason for telling people they're in the shot. It was more like I'm shouting because they're far away, so I'm trying to project my voice. Um, so that you can I've get a of, shot. What do you mean it's not selfish? No. <laughs> what no, are you so talking we, about? So that we collectively, <laughs> as the media's crew, can can bring. <laughs> can can bring can you know show you guys the sport better um, to grow the sport and, and I, so you're just trying to grow the it, sport so now now Boris does the shouting and and uh, and he usually shouts before I would shout so I just kind of wait or nudge him and then he shouts it's probably like being around us not on a podcast when we really don't hold back and if you walk yeah. into the room you'd be like those guys are not friends, right? And they'll be like, no, no, they've known each other for 20 years. They they actually like each other. The person would honestly be, that's not possible. So sometimes you treat them mean to keep them keen, and even your friends, I think. But uh, there was another one which was kind oh, so of how do that I find topic. The, find the, 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 so the, but the actual, the actual question was, how do I find the energy to keep coming back? It is yeah. because even... Even there is though, another question. That's exactly another yeah. question is, after all these years of traveling the circuit, how do you keep motivated? That's somewhere here. I f I'll find the gentleman that sent yeah. it. Um, e even on the repeat venues of, of you know, like um, even the tricky and hard venues to shoot, whether it be weather, midges, food, hotels, like Fort William, for instance, um, even though it might feel like a task or actually feel like work as a, you know, sometimes the, the work does feel like a job, um, but it's, it's every race day. It unfolds differently. Um, what's the end result is different. The weather is different. The light is different. So at the end of the day, it's every story is different. And that's what keeps me, I guess, passionate and excited and coming back and, and, energizes me um come race day you're you're also you know you kind of you living vicariously through the athletes and what they're doing and it elevates your heart rate and your pulse and um it makes you kind of do your best as well um so yeah that's at the, at the end of the day some some of the days you know with bad weather or, or like a shitty light or a bad track or the same track it can like i said feel like work but it, it's the story and the racing which makes it always worthwhile 
yeah for sure yeah that's we we keep saying you've just if you haven't been to an event you've got to go to an event and uh, i mean it's, I and think, it's getting better and better they're like what well, we saw i like the morning crowds. what was that what about the morning of worlds did you feel that atmosphere i think i told miles about that or someone like i hadn't felt that atmosphere to race in a while like the race day is always you know the weekend builds it's the calm before the storm and yeah. and i've been at a few world cups since retiring and but the worlds was special just i was walking up the gondola just you know near amari benoit someone else and you can just feel the tension you can just feel what's about to unfold it's like that energy call me woohoo but that energy was coming off the rider and coming off the staff and being at the finish area on that last practice run all the work was done it was it's yeah, got to go to an event yeah the best part Sven, i want to yeah. add a second i want to add a second component onto couscous's question sven as a, a storyteller do you feel at a World Cup or World Champs that there are moments in history like falling down around you like rain and it's your job to, your not your job, but it's your mission and your passion to make sure you capture as best as you can those moments, you know, the wheel folding in a, on a green light run, the, the crash that uh, takes the, puts the local into the hot seat or whatever it is. Do you feel that, does that maybe drive you because you're like, you've, you don't want to miss a single shot that could tell the story of the weekend. Yeah, the, it's definitely story driven. Um, and although I am there doing, uh, it's, it's like a three or four different jobs I'm doing, but, but my sort of history and, and sort of learning the ropes from Gary Perk and I like to take it very, very much from like a news and a document, like a documentarian perspective. Um, telling the news of the day the story of the day and then whilst doing that i still have certain client things i have to take shots with commercial considerations in 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 mind whether it be size and shot like how tight and how many logos what products been shown but then also you want to do it as a photographer and, and keep the photos arty and and creative um Sometimes it can be all in the same photo. You can, you can achieve three or four different goals. And some shots in the back of your head, you know, are just going to be kind of social media and some aren't even, may only be seen vertical format. So you, there's a lot of variables, but at the same time, you know, you, you, the story drives what, what you do and, and, um, and how you capture it. And, and, uh, and not just the day's story, but the year's story. And you kind of, you shooting throughout the year and you're shooting in the pits with the mechanics throughout the year. And then a sort of a thread will evolve and it might be a relationship with a rider and a mechanic, or it might be a niggling injury or a concussion or, or something with a certain athlete and how they bounce back from it. So you kind of tracking these things and some don't pan out, but like, you know, like these drive to survive and, and the new tennis show and the, and the surfing show that box to box sports are doing, you know, they must film so much at all the events. Like they, they didn't know that, that Nick and his partner would end up winning the doubles. They probably didn't plan on covering those guys on the tennis one, but you, you throwing yourself at so many different things. And then like the, you guys as the viewers or the people that see this stuff on the websites or on Instagram or whatever, they don't realize that we've had to kind of double down on 10 different stories and we didn't know who would end up winning. But if we, if Omri or Manar or Jackson, whoever won, it's nice to have 
him in the morning in the pits when he's having a quiet time, like before he's even like sort of put his shoes on. It's nice to have that shot. But then there could be 10 different winners. So you're actually trying to get that shot with 10 different winners. And you, you're kind of running around. And at the end of the day, you hope that one of your stories like pans out and, and you hope that you've done the work. But for every story or good shot you see, there's like 100 or 1,000 stories we've kind of half told that we just don't come to light because the story didn't pan out. And, and those like shows that hook you, you know, it's like, you know, they're probably, like we were talking about, they've probably filmed all the different scenarios, but then that, that player got knocked out early. And so they had, luckily they had another crew working on this guy. So it's, you kind of got to, you know, risk some stuff and, and, and but mostly using intuition and gut instinct and then you work hard. And, um, and that's, that's, that's what, what you asked that's that's what keeps the job challenging um but also what's you know you you do spread yourself thin by trying to be everywhere and, and shoot like you know i i shoot obviously my clients but i'm shooting all the other riders too because there's a there's it's it's my it's my uh duty to tell the story of the sport even if it's none of my clients are in that story there's a couple of riders where i don't like make one cent off you know other than maybe editorial um usage but there's very little editorial usage these days so but that doesn't stop me from shooting them i I shoot them like just as much as the next guy um yeah so uh yeah there's always just lots to kind of be aware of and and keep your eyes open and and what i like more is like capturing the hidden things that people don't know about like you said you know like the broken cleat or the the three spokes missing at the end of the run or a flat tire that goes down 10 minutes later or a you know, someone getting a massage because he's had his shoulder separated in the last practice run, you know. So, um, you know, those are the kind of things which then, like, make the cool stories in the yearbooks and the, the those kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, even if it just, like, sits on my hard drives, that's something I can tell in 10 years' time, you know, or remind myself about in 10 years' time. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Right. Yeah, we love your work. I'm a big fan. So from Cheers. point one, uh, we'll stay on Sven and then we'll go to some general ones. From point one, athletic. Why do I have to? Move? This is kind of similar to Couscous. Why do I have to move oh. for Sven's shot, but he never moves for my dad cam? So, so, <laughs> so, the, so these, so these guys that like feel they need to be in a specific spot, like they. Couscous is doing the social media if he is on the track um, with with his like phone cam and and point one is spotting lines of his different riders that he's helping on so they also they both have a reason to be there and he's not in my shot he's in all of our shots right so but they don't they do also and they also know that they can do their job and we can do our job if we both compromise a little and it's a matter of literally standing 30 centimeters different and he can still see a hundred percent of the line probably actually show the line better to his riders that he's needing to film, but they just stubborn and we're stubborn, but I'm always asking for like people to move like a couple of inches, not like get the hell out the B zone. Um, so, you know, what's the unwritten rule? If you're there first, you get, you get dibs or if you're not Sven, yeah, you just don't get dibs. No, no. Like if someone comes and has a look <laughs> and, and he needs to look from a certain vantage point, they, they're doing their jobs. And if it's a rider, like I don't tell the rider to move, you know, if they on the track and endangering other riders who ask them to step outside of the B zone. So, but everyone's there to do their job. 
But at some point, if you're just standing aimlessly for a long, long time and you've already like got the intel you need, you can then move so we can all like work together. It's all about a bit of compromise and working together. And and now it's just become habitual when they know they're in my shot or Boris's shot or Ross Bell's shot. It doesn't matter. Like they're just trying to poke the bear because they want a reaction. Yeah, I was going to say these comments, these comments seem a bit more poke the bear than actual fact. But there is like... <laughs> A hierarchy up on that hill, which I've noticed, which I don't no, think you can deny. I w- and I think, I say like, if you're there, f- at all. but if you're there first, though, surely you've kind of got dibs. But then, if you're yeah. a line spot, I agree. Like, I'll look and I'll be like, "Oh shit, sorry, dude, I didn't see you." Uh, but at the other point is, like, if they wanted the lines, why don't they just ask you? Because you've got opinions on all these damn lines, man. They should just ask you. They're just like wasting their time trying to figure it out for themselves. Some riders definitely definitely ask us. Um, but those line spotters are actually there to see where the other fast guys are going to let their rider know. So it's, it's letting them know which is the fastest line or, or you know, it's just reassuring. It's, it's reassurance. So like like I said before, like anybody doing their job, whether it's a line spotter or, um, or, you know, or a photographer. And there's not really a hierarchy, Andrew. And yes, it is like if you get there first, it doesn't matter if you're like shooting for your school newspaper. If you have a press pass, you can be in the B zone. If you're in there first and you've got the best angle, it doesn't matter who you are. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to like. Nobody should tell you to move. Like if you're there first, like screw everyone else. Even if you're in the back. So you've of never asked, you've never asked someone to move. I think you've come a no, long we, way, Sven. I mean, you are going to no, be a dad we, soon, so. We've definitely said to that person, like, hey, don't you think it'll look better from over here? And <laughs> and and nine times out of ten it does. So we will like coerce, not like force, you know? <laughs> no, um, brilliant. It's, uh, it's psychology. We've got uh, – let's move on to some of the regulars uh, from Russell on Instagram. Hey, Andrew, top work on the podcast. Cheers. Thanks to Miles and Sven for being part of it as well. Question when you're next on with Miles. How do you go about setting tire pressures when you're running different casings and or running an insert? 25 PSI and DH carcass will feel different to 25 PSI and trail version. Fair enough. Would love to know how you guys approach it. PS, part of me hates that I'm asking this when I think I should just give each tire a quick squeeze and just get on and hit some turds. I don't think he should be embarrassed about the question. I think there is the get on and squeeze and let it go, but... My quick two cents is, I mean, that's your contact point with the ground. It's actually really, really important to find what, number one, works for you. And yes, the different tire casings, as a rule of thumb, a little bit harder in a thinner tire casing because it's going to roll. But also your terrain is key and your riding style. So I'm not going to give a direct answer in a PSI. A little bit less in the front, anything from 22 to 26. And then the back, anything from 26 to 30. Um, and my trail tires, yeah, I'd probably a PSI or two harder than my downhill casing. But then if you're a guy that weighs a little bit more or puts a lot of load into a turn, you've got to run a little bit more pressure. If you're running a little bit softer pressure, it's going to roll more, but you get better traction. So there's a roundabout way of answering, and I don't think you should be embarrassed. It's a great question, and it's one of the most important aspects of, of riding, even if you're just having a, a fun. Yeah, I think uh, just to add to that, if like soft is always better to a degree, and I think you need to go up if you're hitting your rim often. So in like one four minute run, whether it's a trail tire, enduro tire, or downhill tire, if you, I think if you're hitting your rim 
on a trail you know and you're hitting your rim regularly, then that's you've definitely got to go up in pressure. And uh, if you're breaking rims regularly, then you've got to go up in pressure. Cutting ties, you've got to go up in pressure. But I always like to say that softer is always better, but don't go too soft because then it compromises this, the the lateral roll of the tire, as, as you said, Andrew. Yeah. I mean, Sven, you still check your tire pressures and you're not even riding that much all the time. Like if you don't check them and you get it wrong, you, your ride is a little bit compromised for sure. It, it's weird. I'm way more anal about bike setup now that I don't race than when I did race. I like knew nothing about anything. I didn't know how to ride my bikes. I didn't know how to race my bikes. All of that was while I was racing. But I like... I cannot ride without like a tire gauge. Like if I don't have like 23 and 28 to the PS, exact PSI, I like, it, it just freaks me out. Um, and if we're doing like a lot of runs or shuttling or a long day, I'll bring the tire gauge because I'm going to like check the pressure at some point in the middle of the day. Um, but it's also because I flattered so much in my earlier years um, that, you know, I just, I found like the exact, you know, I know exactly like, I run different sidewalls between my front and my rear tire and I run like different pressures. And uh, it's uh, yeah, exactly what Miles has said. I found to be the lowest pressure I can get away with without, you know, flatting or ruining my, my wheels really. And then um, if I were racing, I would probably just go up in carcass. Like now I'm, you know, running like say double down. If I was racing, I'd be running in this is an enduro. I'd be like downhill. So it would just be, can you afford to have a flat? Would it ruin a race run? Or are you just riding? You know, there's a different set of tires I would use, but I would probably keep to a similar pressure, um, if you know what I mean. And I found almost the same pressure. I go up like one PSI extra with e-bike. I'd rather change the carcass than the pressure with my e-bike. So I just run the same pressure, but a heavier duty tire. Um, just because, you know, once you like, like you both said, once you found what, what works for you, get away with the lowest, I think. Um, I've never run inserts, but um, I'm too old school to try now, and I couldn't be bothered. I don't, I don't even I hate working on bikes, and I'm sure I would hate putting inserts in. No, that's why uh, you open a bike shop, and you get them to put it in for you. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's obviously no perfect answer, but he does need to experiment, number one. And when he gets used check to it, every time yeah, you check, check you it and experiment. Check it Go a little bit lower, especially in the front. Um, knowing that you're doing low, see what it does. Like, oh, I like the traction, but I do see that it rolls in the turn. Uh, and then find what you like, check the pressure, and then give it a squeeze with your hand because there's going to be the day that you don't take the tire gauge. There's going to be the day that the tire, the pump doesn't work as well. And you can get like pretty close with your gauging of your hand, um, but nothing wrong with relying on a on a, a tire gauge, that's for sure. So a lot of these questions are probably going to overlap. Yep. Lastly, lastly, um, like always run the grippiest front tire you can. Not not necessarily on tread design, but like I'm just going my Maxxis because I'm running Maxxis. Like I cannot, like if I get on one of my bikes and doesn't have a Max grip front versus a Max Terra, then like it's, it's night and day. So get a grippier tire. Obviously on the back, they wear out really quick if you're living in dry, rocky areas. But, you know, if you can afford it, just run max grip front and rear and just blow through that back tire as often as you can. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So we've got Duran Duran, one of the top South African trail builders. Get well soon, Duran. You might still be in hospital while you're listening to this. Had a little injury to his ankle, and I think it had an infection. So uh, 
Hopefully we're keeping him entertained. He's got some questions for Svet. Do photographers really hate riders in all black for photos? Asking for a friend is question number one. And then he says, congrats on your news for your family. And then, ultimate dream team for a manager, but it's got a catch. Who would you choose to make the worst team knowing riders' rivalries? Like if you put these <laughs> riders together, it would be absolute chaos. So that's question two. Oh, goodness. Oh, man. So There's, number one, um, Black Kid. He's asking for a friend. Black, Do you really hate Black Kid? No, time and a, time and a place. Like if you're... Um... If you got like a button-up black shirt and it's open and flapping in the wind with some black denims and you're smashing down like Jackson Gold, like um, not Jackson Goldstone, um, uh, like like a time and a place. And when if you're in dark, dingy woods, like I, you know, it just doesn't look good for photos and video. And you know, you need contrast and color. But, um, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's just about a contrast thing and, and, a, and a light thing and a, and a visible thing. But then you do get some guys where it suits them. Like, can you imagine seeing Kovarik in like a pink race kit, you know? It's just, you just can't visualize it. Can you imagine seeing Palmer in like something that like Loic and Finn wear, you know, like in pastel pinks, you know? Like, no, you can't. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I you know shit yeah black if you're like got a studded metal studded silver belt to go along with it i reckon and some like chromed out lenses yeah you gotta dress it up with the goggles like the goggles on the black helmet i've got black kit at the moment with some chrome on it but um yeah i dress it up with some goggles but now build the ultimate race team where it's gonna be chaos well, you'd think like a team run by like, you'd think like, you'd think like, imagine like, you'd think Bernard Kerr, like let's say backpedal like a five years ago and like Bernard Kerr putting together a pivot team or whatever, you know, he's been on pivot for, for ages, but him building a team, you'd think that team's like going to be fun, but it's going to be useless and chaotic and terrible and, and and in a lot of ways, it is like you must hear some of the stories when they're traveling and like the accommodations they they end up with. And there's like many fun stories, but where it counts, like the vibe and the atmosphere is brilliant, and it allows the riders to thrive and get the results. You know, team of the year for EWS, and then Bernard doing it, and Daniel and, and Jenna as well. So you'd be surprised, like people that you would think would be the worst at it are also if their intentions and their passions are pure and in the right place can make you know the best of managers too um trying to think that like like who there's there's already a lot of useless ones out there um no no not useless not not useless teams and managers you're gonna build a team knowing that the riders you put on the team are not gonna get on it's gonna be a this is like a rider roster this is a rider roster so where it just turns into absolute chaos. So like back in the day, you'd have to put PD and Volios on a team together, oh, right? Because yeah. they were oh. like rivalries, right? So now in this day and age, who do you line up and put under the same tent, knowing it'll be absolute chaos every day? Well, not you know, not quite your question, but what do you guys think? If if Andrew, let's say you Loic, and Miles, let's say you Finn, right? Both like Finn's now winning winning races and finishing well in the overall. Loic is Loic, and you know he's 
the next goat or the current goat as well. Um, now you have Jordan Williams been put on the team with you. Like, how do you two guys feel being Loic and Finn? Uh, you could take one out of the Chase Sexton handbook and look at a ride with KTM. <laughs> so Chase Sexton at Supercross has got the Lawrence brothers moving up to 450s and he's booked out for 424. So I think that really unsettles the established riders at Specialized. Because, I mean, um, they've been served notice, right? whether they 100%. Yeah. They beat what? Whether they admit it or not is another story. I mean, maybe the three of them all get along and they all push each other to new heights. Yeah. But I still think on a team, the first rider you want to kind of beat is your teammate, right? For sure. Yeah, motocross for sure. And then Danny brought that into to bikes. I'll tell you that for free. But they, they, it Danny. does help. Don't get me wrong, oh, because oh, if yeah. you are if you are beating your teammate, you're on the same bike, you're getting the same support. There's less excuses, right? But everyone is hmm. like this question is fun, but everyone's so professional, like they make it work. Like there's times that Finn was annoying Loic, but Loic was smoking him. Now there's times where Finn's able to beat Loic. So who's getting hmm. the preferential treatment? Those sort of things. It, it's a really fine line. Because there's all these riders and everyone we know has an ego. That's part of why these riders are performing. So bringing Jordan in, I think that just elevates Finn and, and Loic. You're going to get more out of them because they're not going to let the youngster beat them. And that's why I think Manar, it keeps him motivated. The youngster's coming in, they're fast, they've got every opportunity to beat him. And, and that motivates. He's like, I'm not going to let my teammate beat me. So that gives him extra yeah. motivation. So, like, yeah. who are the guys that just don't want to be in the same room together? Who are those guys yeah. these days? And there's kind of less of them. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, there's – Gwyn wouldn't want to be on a team, a team mm. with Greg. Like, or Greg – you know, like, there's, yeah. it's not, like, nasty stuff. It's just they've been rivals for so long. No one's done anything malicious to each other, but it's just – that's probably going to create some animosity. Uh, animosity. Well, I can't even say the word. <laughs> animosity. Yeah. <laughs> animosity, and, and I think, that one. And I think – I think you know, like there are those big rivals, you know, where it's like you're like forced to be rivals. You know, the Sam Hill, Fabian Barrell back in the day, like they didn't do anything to each other, but you you want to hate the guy, so you're motivated to it's, beat the guy. It was like Michael that, Jordan; yeah. he would create problems with his with his opponents. Yeah, it is weird because, like you like you said, um, P.D. Villio and Palmer Villio. And uh, Sam Hill, everybody, you know, they, it, it, it was like, it was, def it was kind of cool, you know, to, to have that rivalry and, 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 and a lot of it wasn't, you know, it was quite open. Um, but I guess it's like the whole, everyone's become nicer human beings and everybody's like more tolerant and that's the new, you know, you, and and it, it's 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 quite something to see, especially in the women's racing these days. You know, Rachel Atherton used to have like a healthy rivalry with with all the competitors. Still kind of friendly, but a lot more rivalry than than you see. Say like you know, Tani and Pom Pom are taking holidays together and training together, and you know, um, there's a lot of love within the sport. So uh, you know, I, I'm definitely always surprised how when you always ask the question of all the people you interview, Andrew, like who do you hate getting beaten by that? Like so few of them like on, on a, you know, answer you honestly and openly. 
because that still definitely exists, you know, because that's always a fun one. You, you know, you see yourself at a certain thing. You don't want to get beaten by other things. But um, touching back on the specialized crew, I think that besides the riders and how they might feel, I think that was a brilliant move by, by Laurent. And how I mentioned earlier, like, I don't think we can, you can be a top rider in the sport without getting an injury at some point in one or two seasons, you know? So that's him maybe like covering all bases. Like if, if, if Finn or, or Loic gets injured, which even last year they were injured at, at one point, both of them were, you know, at, at the same race. And then what do you not have a rider take the, take the start? So there is hedging his bets and he wants to like guarantee that specialized are, are having a podium, you know? Um, so smart, smart play by him, but I was, I was quite, so that was one of the maybe the biggest surprises of all the off-season stuff um, that did end up happening. You know, um, the only other surprise, which wasn't a surprise, like where Jack Moyer ended up um, with with Whitey. And uh, sorry, Andrew, this goes completely off your question, but I was just kind of thinking of big major changes in the sport. But what I've seen happen on, on that side of the thing is um, – like Canyon has so many good teams and riders, just just like sort of common cell. Um, but there was always a disconnect with Canyon, the top part of Canyon, and say like Jack Moyer. Um, the riders are like go through their race programs, and and Gabe and Fabian, they run the performance programs for Canyon, and you know they're all part of a global collective. But Canyon were very hands off on that relationship with Jack Moyer, which is probably what allowed him to slip away, you know, um, syndicate were very, ha- Santa Cruz were very hands off syndicate for many years. It was syndicate was run very separately to Santa Cruz's brand. And then that caused them to lose a rider like Loris, you know, he wanted more factory testing and contact with the company. And then Santa Cruz, like what they're doing now with the syndicate, Santa Cruz itself is a huge part of the syndicate. It's not just a team of Santa Cruz's. They're very, very involved on a day-to-day and a year-round basis with the team. And and, um, and I see, I think that's what Jack got from YT, you know, interest from Marcus himself. That's into, you know, that's the direct relationship. Max Common Cell, he's at every race. There's a direct relationship with all these riders and teams. So um, that was a weird tangent to go on when you asked a question. No, of it's, like, a, it's, a good, uh, it's a good tangent because he's one of the topic points because – yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of Jack Moyer, and he could easily, I think, come back to downhill. Like he's just such a star talent. Yeah, it's weird. I think, and I think, I think the listeners love to know, like, the inside the ropes thing of like, are there rivalries and what's going on? And yeah, some teammates want to beat the shit out of the next teammate. They won't say it, but you can feel it. And some teammates are opposite. I've had, I mean, Justin Leov was an open book with me. It was incredible. We were, but we were kind of similar. We were both maybe knocking on the podium door and doing it together. And there wasn't like a clear leader of a team. Sometimes there's a clear leader as well. Um, and then there's that youngster, like a Finn, who didn't want to be uh, under Finn, I mean, under Loik. And, and it hurt his results for a while because he kept trying to beat Loik. He wasn't doing as good as his yeah. potential kept trying to beat Loic and he verbalized it. Um, so the dynamics are cool. Um, and I think Jack Moore, uh, I mean, geez, he's really performed and, and he's fun and he's, you know, he's doing the YouTube thing as well. Um, and he's probably had a fat paycheck to go on 
to go with it. So good, good for him. You know, there's some top enduro riders are making some cheese. Yeah, but um, I was, well, the only surprising thing with Jack was how early he had already made that that decision or had entertained the idea or in his mind, I don't know when he signed or, or, or whatever, but the deal seemed to be have been done very, very, very early last year. It wasn't like something that happened in the, at the end of the year because there were multiple offers put to him by nearly every brand in that you would expect, you know, all the big, all the big boys, but there was, the deal was already done. So I was like, he either got so much that he knew he'd be happy with that and no one could match it. Or, you know, I was surprised at how early he, he, he did sign, but he was obviously was communicated that he'd be given exactly what he wanted or maybe, you know, so he didn't need to hang out for more money or another offers or, you know, a lot of people use offers to get other offers and keep bouncing back and forth until the numbers go up. But it seemed like he just went with the early one and maybe the early only one. And, and then, you know, all the other five, 10 companies that came knocking, it was too late. Yeah, I mean, uh, a rider's happiness and, and how comfortable they are with a brand is key. Like these team dynamics, this Duran question is a really important question because team dynamics, manager, structure, how strict they are, all these things. Every team is run a little bit different. And, and until you've kind of been in the industry a little bit and you kind of go and speak to certain riders or meet the managers. And and it's so tough, right? Because each individual rider expects a certain thing or they want to feel special. But it's a team environment as well. Like no one rider is bigger than the team. And, you, and you've unfortunately got to remember 100%. that as well. Sven, who are yeah. the riders that are on contract here this year? Like end of twenty three, like the top ten riders. Oh, you know, are there any of them that are on contract? I haven't even, I haven't even like thought, I haven't even thought that far out. I kind of just, there are people, but I'm just like, there will be another whole roster of them because there's a, there's a couple of multi years that are all coming up now. Um, No, I, I I wouldn't even want to like speculate that it's kind of too early. But I did hear like. I did hear a little like rumor that Duran might get a kick off because he's quite close to the perhaps he's quite close to the story. But I did hear a certain rider like uh, Jackson Goldstone at the end of his current contract with Santa Cruz, which which may be this year or I think it might be the following year. He's already been offered like a signing bonus by another team. And the signing bonus would be a Porsche. Um, so, uh, dude, we are. There's are some rumors flying around. You reckon? Yeah, no, I, I, and that could have been in all. You know, like that might have just been like. Oh, hang on a second. So there's a. There, there, what kind of a Porsche? What kind? Well, yeah, there's not, a Porsche, and then there's a Porsche. Yeah, not. No, he really Yeah, but it's Jackson, not a box. I'm sure it's going to be a 911 or something. Yeah. No, Jackson already has a Porsche, so it's obviously going to be a lot better than his budget. Jackson Porsche has, has a Porsche. Know? Yeah. Oh shit! But it's like a little, like play one, like those. What are those cheap ones? A Boxster. No, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not like Boris. No. I don't, I'm not like a part of the Porsche club, so I don't know. Uh, no, I don't I'm know, definitely um, not Porsche's. part of the Porsche club. No, no, but that was but like. Indeed, that was, has he ex- has he ex- has he accepted the Porsche? No, no, because he would have to accept, accept accept the offer. No, but it was pretty funny. Last year, one of the privateers, one of the privateers last year that was getting like free photos from me because I've got a big heart. Like 
it's like four in the morning and I'm like literally done my work and I've got three hours to sleep. And then there's like people like Teo and, and a few other kids that I just feel bad that they're not getting photos. And I'm like literally trying to help the brothers in South Africa out and I'm giving them free photos at four in the morning. But there's like a kid that like privateer South African kid getting free photos from me, but then he's rolling around the races in like a four by four Lamborghini, which is like pretty funny. <laughs> well, you've let that cat which, out the bag. No, but which we, might we, which we, might we, relate to the Jackson like signing bonus. Like I was going to say, now we've put two and two together. That one's easy. Only I'll go straight to the source. Duran probably knows more about those uh, those those rumors than me. Well, he might be over there team managing or helping. He needs to get his ankles sorted. But uh, yeah, cheers that, for the question. No, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't deep dive the team rumors. There are a few changes. Mark Wallace going to Norco. A few. T- but there were not a lot of, not a lot of riders up for grabs, and not a million teams looking. I think the next cycle is going to be very interesting. So end of twenty twenty three. Yeah, that I think and is going to be a very exciting cycle. Yeah, and then we will also have a more clear vision of how the sport's going to be presented and 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 you know distributed around the world. But going back to that, what we were talking about earlier. Um, that is one of the interesting teams, uh, Angel's new team with, with Uno. Um, he was like the guy that was instrumental, that did all the hard yards like the year before and the year during Amory and them and Comencel Markov getting that new that new bike. Like they, time and time again, um, they credited him with the development of the bike and, and they, they said he was one of like the best test pilots they had. They couldn't just put that bike underneath the Prella and Armory and Pom Pom, it had to, you know, they had to go all the wrong directions and go all the extremes and, and testing all the different pivot points and those flex things they have. So it's going to be great to see. And he was like a podium rider, you know, he, he had his injury, so he missed a few races. So he's kind of under the radar, but he was, he's like on that trajectory to being like a bankable podium rider. So it's going to be quite interesting to see what they come of come up with. Uh, you know, with Uno, because that, that's Greg Williamson them rode that bike a couple of years ago, and now this will be like a newer version of, of that bike. Um, so that's going to be pretty, that'll be an exciting one to see. Like, that's a, a new little privateer team, but with like a podium level rider. So that's going to be pretty cool to see. Yeah, definitely. I still stand by my call that I made last year. I think Angel's going to win a World Cup at some stage. Yeah, you did. I, you did. Yeah, you did make I've that seen. call. Yeah, and he's one of the few—not the few riders. I mean, this might come out wrong, but he bets on himself. I heard a rumor that he insisted on—not insisted, but they, his pay was X, and he said fine. But then I want a huge world championship bonus. Like then I'll go for that race. Like he's a guy that bets on himself that can win a race. So he's yeah. got the self-belief as well, which goes a long way, Miles. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's got to be. It's got to be hard to get like to get off a winning bike, you know. You know, actually, there's quite a few winning bikes these days on the Daniel World, World Cup circuit. Um, the bikes have got so good, but it must be hard to like get off a proven winning bike like 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 that bike, and then go on a you know another bike that's not even out yet, you know. So he obviously they obviously know they're on to a good thing, and and Cesar that did the Dakar did one day of the Dakar this year. Um, He's like one of the smartest guys in mountain biking. And uh, yeah, so we'll look forward to see what they come up with. Have I got it incorrect? Or did he help with the Mondraker bike back in the day, didn't he? For a while. A couple of bikes. I swear it must have been him. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's helped, so he's smart, helped, man. He's helped with the evil bikes, the Mondraker bikes, the specialized style. He's done a lot of lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. He has. A, yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, uh, we're on this topic. Um, now I'm drawing a blank, but I did hit my head last week. Not bike related. Um, jeez, that's bad. Staying at Atherton Bikes. Why? I've literally drawn a huge blank here. Yeah. Cole. I mean, Cole. Sorry, the, Andy, the rider Andy. of 2022. Cole. Andreas Kolb, speaking of like, he had a lot of interest and I think he is quite mature and I think he wanted to stay with what he knows works, which is quite interesting because he could have been a lead rider, probably could have got a pay rise. I don't know the deals. I don't know the ins and outs of any of the deals, but we all know that we're headhunting him big time. I would would say despite it it being an Atherton bike, he's 100% the lead rider, although him and Charlie are like equal teammates because they've got a really good vibe in their team. But um, I would say he is the lead rider and hats off to the Athertons for recognizing that. And he's like, why, like you said, why change it? He knows he can win on that bike or come close to winning or you know, the win is right there. Um, and, you know, Continental have put a lot of money into a lot of teams and they've got a great range of new tires that are you know on the podium so i'm sure they had something to do with keeping him on their tires and on in other words on the atherton's brand um but uh yeah you know and i think charlie's right there behind him that you know his he'll be next on the on the podium or you know more consistently in the top 10 like he's crept in a few times It's, it's a working combo and and maybe it's like been good for them that G and Rachel haven't been there because it has been a hundred percent focus on on them. So, you know, I'm sure they would just as equally love to have G and Rachel back. And you know, maybe we, we might see Rachel doing her retirement race at Fort William World Champs. You know, or we might not because no one knows. Because not even her brothers would know because she changes her mind so much. You know, it's tough being a mom and an, and a professional athlete and a team and company owner and a bike park owner. But um, you know, I heard that that might be a race she might want to target as her retirement race and can you imagine like if she'd retired like winning world champs at fort william that'd be quite a story but i just want to jump in here on a slight sidebar isn't it amazing how um maybe four years ago if you weren't running maxis on a down at a downhill world cup you were at a distinct disadvantage and now how that has pivoted because as you said continental have got winning tires schwalbe you've got winning tires pirelli are investing in yeah. space and so you know and there's the specialized tires are improving all the time too so isn't it amazing how we've gone from one tire brand that was really the go-to and that if you weren't riding it you didn't really have the confidence and now you can see that there's around five tire brands that are investing in the space and and uh, coming up with really good product yeah i mean at the end of the day it's the consumers that benefit because like it's great that shram and shimano rockshox and fox and and the others have all been so strong and so good at every year they have to not only outdo themselves but they've got to outdo their competitors it's almost like they keep doing that to each other and and now like you said, Maxis were almost like a monopoly. Um, and now it, it is good to see some other ones coming up. And, and uh, you know, it, already like 
to be a bike shop's got to be the hardest thing because there's so many SKUs of just Max's tires. Now you've got to like entertain carrying, you know, all the all the other ones too. But it also makes sense because different parts of the world, you know, Pirelli's will be easier or cheaper to get than Max's, and and then Michelin's here and um, Goodyear's there, and so it, it is good on a global scale to make tires more accessible. You know, it's a it's a petrochemical thing that relies on that for manufacturing and and. It's hard to ship big, heavy containers of these things and keep SKUs and stocks of all these things. So, you know, it would be nice if they, yeah, it's basically we as consumers just win. You know, we we end up getting World, World Cup winning tires from the multiple, you know, options. I haven't even mentioned Kenda yet, guys. If I can do your research. Aaron Gwynn's <laughs> been developing. He's not there anymore. George Brannigan, Kaya Hearn. Tracy Tracy Hanna won a World Cup. Just saying, so you can add that to the list there, Miles. Just saying, your memories come back there. Hey, <laughs> your memories come back. Yeah, no, exactly. Back. <laughs> I get and uh, Andrew, oh, <laughs> then it oh, comes back. Tell us about hitting. And are there special? Tell us about hitting your head. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah, you shouldn't hit your head again. Uh, you didn't wake up to 1980, Andrew. Your um. Oh, your special edition candors, because for a while I know that there were definitely good rubber candors, but they weren't the ones you could buy. Can the tires that the can you buy the tires that the World Cup candor riders are riding? Now? Yes, and they continue to develop. And yes, it's it's the tires are in production as well as well as continue to develop. And like I, I'm the same, same with bikes. Everyone is making good stuff. Miles's point is there are so many manufacturers. I'm just teasing you guys. Maybe we missed one there. But you named about six that you could probably get on and win. And bikes, I mean, that's just unthinkable. So here's a little rant. It's Bjorn from, well, like I don't know if it's from Gordon's Bay. And I don't know if he lives oh, yeah. in the Surrey Hills. Is this so yeah, you? No, so he says, okay, so you'll yeah. know the context. He's going to go on a little Sven rant here, which is great. We love a good rant. What is the secret? He used to ride downhill with us. Yeah. What is yeah, the yeah. secret? I'm. Yeah, I haven't gone into the profile. What is the secret to upping the level of riding in South Africa? We have amazing terrain, but the trails are pretty boring compared to Surrey, which is cuck compared to Western Cape. But we barely make use of the mountains. Must be a simple answer. But as someone that travels between SA and UK with my bike, I find myself wishing SA guys, especially around satellites. I don't know what that is. We're as keen to build proper challenging steeps as they are here. Anyway, rant over and enjoy the pod. Great rant. Um, I I don't know if he's ridden Halderberg. I need to take him on some of the trails there. There were some steeps in Yonkers Hook. However, he is right. The level of riders and type of riding here is behind the eight ball. We are more marathon-based, more XE-based. There's some incredible, like, XE trail riding. Like, you can ride a different spot here in the Western Cape for, like, two weeks straight. You won't even ride the same place. Um, and we've got professional trail builders. We do have more access, but we're a little bit behind. It's like the chicken before the egg thing, I think. Like the more we build professional but a bit gnarlier trails, the more the skill set increases. But we don't have the, the, the majority of skilled riders yet. I think, I think it's up to guys like you two guys. Um, you can't rely on governing bodies and federations to – keep the sport alive and, and, and put money into big national racing. Like even in 
countries like Australia and New Zealand and, and the US, huge markets, you know, with a lot with a lot more money than South Africa has at its disposable to invest in those series. It's about riders keeping their scenes. So whether it's local Western Cape, even this side of Cape Town or that side of Cape Town, it's up to the older group of riders to, you know, volunteer their time, put their you know, money behind their money where their mouth is and support local little grassroots events. Keep it fun. Even if it's like, you know, like you, Andrew, you do shop rides. Like these are things you've got to do to keep the scene. Miles is talking about a 40 strong Wednesday ride just up on a little hill off of Lion's Head. It's up to, it's up to the oldest statesmen and even the young new crew to keep the sport alive. Um, Teo did say, at the pole race just a couple of weeks ago, it was like 40 degrees. I went to the beach because it was like 40 degrees. And he said it was like the most they've had in years on, on the turnout. So there's a, that's a, and that wasn't like an enduro race. That was a downhill race. So that was like one of the biggest turnouts I've had. So that is promising news. But you've got to keep the sport exciting and fun and, and have little like small events and you don't have to have infrastructure and crazy professional timing and – and crazy like sponsors you just got to have like fun little grassroots underground things and that's how you keep your sport alive like it's just that's how that's that's the answer to that and then you know surrey hills versus you know it versus versus western cape or, or something like that it's you know they have short little like short little loamy trails everyone likes to ride loam so they have a lot more loam than the western cape which is like hard like loose over hard pack but the lack of like uplift is is probably the biggest hindrance to downhill specifically you know uh, chairlift and shuttle uplift that probably you know hurts things because then people can be downhilling on the enduro bikes if they're pedaling you know pedaling everywhere so you know there's got to find venues and private locations where you can build the odd downhill trail so you can have uplift days and uplift weeks. And, and that's really people giving back their time and volunteering. There's nothing, it's just reinvesting in your sport with your own powers, not with money, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think I know where Bjorn's going. Like we have these massive mountains and no trail on some of the mountains is absolutely no trails. Um, and I think the satellite he's referring to is the cell phone towers at the top of the trail. So there is a road that goes up there. Ah, right. Okay, fair enough. Bought. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it's <clears> land <throat> access. Okay. But I mean, Miles, you... But, you know, like on on the positive side, like um, I, I th- around four or five years ago, I was thinking that we probably going to battle as a nation to produce more talent that can be on a World Cup podium and be flying the flag in the hot seat. Um, be, purely because of our lack of access to the gradient that you need to develop the skills to be able to get over there and compete. But two two names, I mean, we've had some breakthrough riders, but two names that I spotted just in the last half of last year coming from South Africa with no real access to the big steep stuff and have really impressed. So that's Ross Q and Connor Finnis. Like, I really think those two guys... Um, and these guys were pointed out to me. It's not like I discovered them, but I really, I've seen these guys ride and people have seen these guys ride. And it's um, made me wonder how in, within South Africa, they develop the skills to be able to ride the steep tracks as well as they both do. So, which brings me back to Bjorn's question. It's not all doom and gloom. We really do have some good stuff here. We could have, 
access to the bigger mountains and we could do so much better. But there are land access issues. There's private ownership, there's government ownership on some of the, the big mountains and there's just a no-go. Like we just can't shuttle there or can't even build tracks. But there's still a lot of great riding. Like Greg finds a way to ride steep stuff in Peter Maritzburg. There's good riding in uh, Helderberg. There's good downhill riding, obviously, at Hell's End. And we've got a couple of other small tracks here on the Western Cape there. And then there's good e-bike shuttling. So it's not all doom and gloom. If you're sitting in the UK listening to this, you know, don't just don't cross off South Africa on your destination list just yet. I think the other thing is because Brendan battles with this because they've got obviously loam um, and then they ride. They're right in the winter and it's like slippery, but it's not that slippery, to be quite honest. And then the summer is obviously really nice. And then they come here because you want to come in our summer, their winter. And it, it's technically the worst time to ride. The weather's the best. It's not going to rain, but the dirt's the worst. So if they were able to come in like our autumn and a little bit of rain, we have like some really good dirt. So that's one thing. The other thing just for Bjorn, I think it's great. Like we are a little bit behind the, the curve. But it is increasing. And a few things that people are not aware of. Land access is one, but the environmental issues that we have, you have to jump through so many hoops. Even if the land is privately owned, you have to go and apply, tell them the plan, how much square meters you're going to build and what you're going to build. And then they'll grant you permission or not. If you build, they can apparently backtrack it through Google Earth Images and fine you and lock you up. And your it's your land. private land, on your own land. So we do have to just be aware and, and just be patient with landers. They're taking a big risk, and I'm dealing with it now at Lawrenceford, just as like a mediator. Um, and there will be some cool stuff there, but that guy's having to put in uh, applications, um, resubmit them if things weren't done correctly. Um, and, and I've seen with Miles and his crew in Cape Town, like they've – come together, self-funded, paid Duran that the question came from, and got him to fix up some of the trails. And that's what we need. You either take your own time or put your money where your mouth is and invest in some of these trail parks because it's very expensive to build, plus all the land access. And we're now doing a bit of fundraising because I want to build something for the community. But it's not free, right? If we're going to do it properly, I want Duran or Justin or some of Jan van Skalfeit that I work with at Helderberg, some of his crew. So we've got to pay for diggers, we've got to get the land access, and then we've got to go and build. So there's certain times that I think, hey, donate. If there's a good cause, whether you ride the trail once or not, like it's going to the community, you know? Because people always think, oh, the landowners are making money, or the guy running the mountain bike trail park is making money. Let me tell you for free, it's not making money. You're barely covering costs. So just like pay your day permit, pay your year permit, like we're getting so much access actually um but to be honest i think watch the space next three to five years there's going to be even more like enduro style riding because there's an incredible xe marathon trail scene already and then and then uh to take it to the next step um you basically got if you are a rider that's showing some promise skill talent you've got to take that risk invest in yourself um we've like i did it as a skateboarder i left south africa i got as far as i could here and i had to go to california if i wanted to further my skateboarding career and surfers have to do the same they've got to go overseas um 
the kid from here, Aidan Massenkamp, top three surfer in South Africa. He's in Morocco this weekend doing what he can to be on the World Cup, you know, their World World Series. And what they've got to do is just get over to Europe, um, get a job, even if it's under the table. I don't, I don't want to encourage illegal work in Europe when you don't have a work visa, but that's what you've got to do. Buy a cheap van in, in London for a couple hundred pounds, live in it. You're living the dream. Like you're going to have a life experience, even if you don't qualify at one race or don't even enter a race or don't even enter downhill race. Like Sarja from, from Peter Marisburg, like wonderful human being. You've seen all like the Christmas initiatives he does. He's raced downhill at World Cups. He's raced Enduro World Series. And he's like become such a sort of a welcome sight and personality in Europe. Like the racing he's good rider a good racer but he's not like the top 10 20 in the world but he's kind of really made a name for himself from you know sleeping under cars and in in like on the you know at rough camping just to follow his dream and now he's kind of got some sponsorship from Shimano Europe and they're flying him to do videos in Morocco and and in you know and then he stays on at the end of the season like hammering nails and roof and in jumping different countries to stay longer than the, than the three month, you know, work visa you get on a South African passport. So like, if you have that hunger, like all the Aussies and the, and the Kiwis have it, um, the Americans, not so much because they want it paid for South Africa. We don't have the exchange rate unless you have some super rich parents, you, you, you're going to have to do it differently and, and you're going to have to, you know, have your back up against the wall because you're not going to get the same sleep and food and, technical support but you're going to get so much experience your riding is going to go through the roof and you're going to have the time of your life so like just invest yourself and yolo it for a year or two if you you know that can be your gap year you know go try travel the world and have fun and run race your bike and you know Minar basically dropped out of school to do that because he showed the talent so you know you don't have to drop out of school let's finish school but like just get to europe maybe you know yeah, I mean, Menard also mentioned that first year over was so hard he thought of quitting. He 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 thought yeah. he maybe wouldn't he make a, it. So, but he had to go he had over to there. Those you conditions, can, yeah. You can be a big fish in the small pond in any country, and you've got to go over there. And it takes sometimes it takes longer than you think to get used to steep trails. I mean, I remember my first steep trail, and it was in SoCal, almost ruined my career. I wasn't used to some of the steep stuff, but I was cocky. Because I could ride my local trails, and it, and it and it it takes time, I think. But um, yeah, I think we're on the on the onwards and upwards here in the country of of trail riding. I see it in the shop. E bikes are becoming more popular. People are moving over to baggies, moving over to bigger trail bikes. But um, I think we'll start rounding up this podcast. Finn, it's been wicked having you. We'll have to get you back for some of these miles, maybe. If there were some questions, we just pause them for the next one. If they're the general ones, we just. But we've got maybe one or two on Instagram. Sean Davy, uh, you have answered the one question. It was about enduro joining the, the the World Cup circuit, and you've answered that incredibly. And then this is a cool one because I have no idea. Does he feel the changes in technology and MTB over the years is on par with the changes in photography equipment? What with things getting more expensive, yes. Um, <laughs> oh, my, goodness. My, my, my only gripe, and they last like, and they last half the time. More expensive and they don't last. 
Well, I don't know. I had like Santa Cruz that lasted for three years because there was like a, a supply chain demand and I had to ride the same bike for three years. Can you believe that? Um, no, uh, the, the, the thing with these things are all consumables. Like the bike can last forever or it can last for a year because you absolutely thrash and abuse it and, and then you pass it on. And that's what happens to, to my cameras. Um, unfortunately the whole we're, we're becoming quite a you know a consumable society but no the, the products all are improving um but then you know so are the costs but so is everything going going up my only gripe is like i used to have let's say and miles you'll you'll like this back in the day when i could pedal like a 36 tooth front chainring nine speed like 11 36 you know that's because i was like single speed or one by nine before one by 10 was a thing or before two by 10 and before one by, you know, but we used to have like 150, 160 travel bikes that weighed like 28 pounds. You know, now I can put the most expensive build on the bike and it weighs like 32, 33 pounds. Like if you got a 170 travel bike, you know, the wheels have got bigger, cassettes have got bigger, seat posts are now like droppers, they got heavier, Forks have got thicker, stems have got, handlebars have got bigger diameter. Like everything's got heavier. So um, that's my, you know, I, as I get older and more unfitter, like the bikes have got heavier. Yeah, they've got better and they actually last longer. And maybe I just need to train or ride more often and then I won't feel the weight. Um, but it seems like bikes to some degree have got it's some some bikes have got unnecessarily like sort of overbuilt, you know, for what for what the use or what the cause is. Unless it's just building a solid bike that will last in bike parks and not break here, not break there. But like you know, um, yeah, Miles. Like, what is your your? I mean, you used to probably have your long travel trail bike ten years ago. How much did it weigh, and how much does it weigh now? Ten years ago, uh, that would have been a. You would have been like on ten speed, maybe. Five, I think. Yeah. Well, that was yeah, a heavy. That was speed. a heavy. That was a heavy bike then. It's still a heavy bike. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, I also had a couple of Trek trail bikes, and I had a specialized enduro. Um, yeah, like I think thirteen and fourteen were starting to be heavy for a one fifty trail bike back then. Um, and now like 13 and 14 and 15 is kind of like, yeah, that's what it, that's what they weigh. So they've almost gone up by two kilos in 10 years. Am, am I, right? And am I just being like stupid to complain about weight? Cause I now I know in downhill, like if you picked up sort of Brendan's bike versus Armory's bike, there was like a massive difference in weight. And, you know, Armory's bike is obviously heavier than, than the Scott bike, but it's not hindering its ability to win races, you know? So obviously it's different different but i'm talking about like you know a trail bike you still want to pedal a thousand meters you know it's uh, way too i was gonna bring up i was gonna bring up the innovation article which we'll pause for the next one and they have been doing some talks and the weight isn't that much of an issue even climbing and obviously downhill it's way less of an issue it's not really a thing on trail bikes if we're talking about amory's downhill bike versus some of the lights ones sometimes you can go too light so the weight thing I don't think is as big a deal and that might help the consumer with his purchase is, you know, yes, the latest and the greatest and the high-end stuff is lighter and costs a lot. 
but there are the bikes that are maybe a little bit more weight, but you're not going to notice it as much. Um, so that's yeah, just Ben's point, which ten, we can ten, deep dive a lot more. Yeah, I think 10 years ago, you couldn't really take a trail bike or long travel trail bike to a downhill race and, and expect that, to even make it down the course. And now you can, and now yeah. you can really. In, true, true. in many regions, oh, yeah, you can. Definitely, definitely. And I was surprised myself. So, like I would have my enduro bike thinking that, I ride it mostly in Europe and then here I'll ride my trail bike. And like, I ride them all. Like I love to like, they have different dynamics on the trail coming down. It's what I really like about all my bikes, whether they climb better or not. But like this once the 170 bikes climb, like I'm like, why am I not noticing it much different to my 150 or my, even my 120? I'm like, what the hell? It depends on what tires you put on obviously. But I think we've got tons to speak about in the next one, Miles, which is going to be awesome. And Sven's been an epic guest and there was was like a deep dive of a question for him but Sven made me realize that he's come on the podcast before when was it it was number 25 so to this gentleman uh looks like Nicholas Walner photo so he asked how you got into photography what was your first gig hang on hang on as a photographer most memorable photo and shot I definitely ask all these in the podcast but I think what will be really cool is the end of his question. So if you want to know more about Sven, it's number 25. Just scroll down in the archives. But what inspires you in your everyday work? And last, what advice would you give to up-and-coming photographers? I think that's an epic way to sort of wrap it up for the for the fans and for the photographers out there. So uh, some context. Nick, Nick Wellner is uh, Ron Wellner from the Ibis Enduro teams and used to race downhill. He used to, yes. used to race against them. So is that's his, his brother, brother or what? So oh, he's a wicked. photographer. He's a photographer and a filmer, and he's at the EWS. Is all the media we love to like have our recce day, and we all like think we can go super fast, and we think we could still like race these pros on these tracks. But um, he's like the only one that actually can because he is really fast and super stylish. And he actually like stood in for uh, they had an injured athlete one of the last EWS rounds, or maybe the nations. Or, one of the rounds towards the end of the year, he ended up racing because there was a spot on the team. And he, yeah, Cole Lucas maybe had broken hands. So Nick, Nick, the photographer, raced. So that was pretty awesome. Um, and he's a great photographer and filmmaker. I was going to say, I'm looking at his uh, Instagram. He's got some epic stuff. Yeah. And he's, uh, yeah, like a, a brilliant artist. Um, so the, what do you see? So the, the second half of his question, what was it? Um, what inspires you in your everyday work? And and that's maybe quite interesting because you got you had some time off um, and then you shot this project again. So what inspires you, especially mm. when you maybe get back to to your work and you know your season's coming up and then some advice to up-and-coming uh, aspiring photographers? Uh, inspires me like the special moments in the day that you can – use great light or or try look for great light when there isn't any so to try and make a mundane shot special often at events you having to take photos when you really wouldn't normally take photos because of the time of the day so uh, what inspires me is just still trying to take my next best photo you know you're you're you're, you're only as good as your last work so just that's a kind of a famous quote in photography and in video or filmmaking um so i I stay inspired with and with all the like this talent around me 
um, the other photographers, the riders, everything, everybody's sort of raising the game at, at all these events. Every the, the team managers, the truck drivers, the masseuse, the chefs, everybody's trying to do the best job possible. Um, so it's inspiring to be around that kind of mentality and work ethic at all these events. Um, and just to like, you know, be happy with your own work. So you don't, you're not just trying to take a photo to take a better photo than the next guy. You want to keep, um, being happy at the end of the day with your own work. So, so cool photos, good light inspires me. And then this, the subject matter that we, we like, we get like, we just have world's best going past us multiple, multiple times. So it's kind of easy, um, sort of, uh, up and coming photographers, uh, like do it for the right reasons, you know, don't do it for a job. It, if do it as a passion, if you enjoy the sport, you know, do it. Um, but then like, I enjoy the sport of surfing, but I don't want to take surf photos because I want to do it. So pick a passion that you can don't mind like sacrificing your own personal time. You know, it's quite hard with the Daniels. It's different because it's, it's like I'm walking the track, but the Enduros you're on your bike. So it's quite hard not to like be wanting to ride. So if you have passion for your art form or your, your, you know, your photography, and you have passion for your subject matter, the mountain biking, mountain bike racing, or, you know, if you don't want to shoot race stuff, that's fine. So it's just passion, really. And um, and then it doesn't feel like work, you know, if you're doing what you like, it's not a job. And, and uh, have a side job so that you're not forced to, like, turn your passion into a job prematurely or – or like you could be getting bitter because you're not getting paid enough or you can't like afford to be at the races or you're having to take too low pays for a job, you know, should pay higher because you are desperate because you don't have another choice. So, you know, and, and that's what I did for a number of years. I did other jobs until I could, you know, just really just focus on photography hundred percent. So um, do it for the right reasons. This is a real answer. Just do it for the right reasons and the passion of your subject. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see the passion and the riders sometimes probably get annoyed by it. You're like, do another one. I can get this better. And But what's it like? They can always do it better. They can always do it better, especially the professionals. I will defend. When you're shooting and racing, it's fine. You can't tell them to do it better because they're going, they're, they're going as fast as they can. But yeah. when the races are free riding, it's like you're missing, they can always do it you're better. Missing, they can you're always missing do this because – no, that's the problem. That's like a skateboard mentality that you dickheads like want to do it forty-five times. In riding, there's like there's this yeah, pinnacle. There's the this pinnacle. Wait, no, there's this pinnacle of a whip or a turn or a shrub, and then I'm telling you, it goes downhill after that. And you're often like, it's already going downhill, and Sven's like, another one, another one. I'm like, f off. Yeah, because the lights. We are better. just going downhill. <laughs> yeah, light. well, we've <laughs> lost the action, so it's too late. Yeah, no. Well, oh, wait, hang on. Then we start another corner. We'll yeah, exactly. But uh, <laughs> so you you haven't lost the passion, Classic. which is amazing. We're not talking about last week at all, are we, Andrew? <laughs> uh, I'm not. I wasn't there enough. No, it wasn't my project, not my problem. So. I just want to say I'm so stoked to be on the same podcast with you two guys having a powwow. I've been so, waiting two hours for this. Yeah, I was going to say, I've, I've been quite started, subdued. Like I said, I'm, ended, I'm... We started and ended I'm still, on the bank. There's still the guys are like, hey, it'll be super nice if you let your guests spend talk. And I'm like, no, that's the whole point is to rile him up. But anyway, I do have a serious question though. Um, we talk about it a bit and your passion shines through. 
how do you deal with like this new world of it has to be on video and it has to be a reel and you know we're watching all these amazing documentaries like did you ever get to the point that you thought about moving and getting into video as well like or how did you just like i am a photographer i'll double down on what i know like how do you deal with people saying it's a dying art form i guess and that kind of relates to the last question from from nicholas where he says would you have any up, advice to up and coming photographer if you were getting into photography now you probably should do moving images and photography and then you can choose to continue doing both or you will find that you will have your niche you will get hired for one you will specialize in one so for sure there's a lot of people that would definitely have to do both um luckily for me i work with some of the my bigger clients or bigger teams they already employ uh, a videographer a photographer and then they're more importantly than kind of both of us they're in, employing like a social media person that's live and direct with a camera doing on course immediate stuff so so we actually almost both obs like we we both run the risk of being obsolete you know um because but like i said i'm lucky enough to be with the bigger teams that they there's a role for each person to spe to, to specialize. Um, and then in some smaller teams, you, you might be that person that does everything. You're the social media manager, you're doing moving images, and you're doing photography. And sometimes you can do it all with a phone. Sometimes you're using a video camera, sometimes a camera, sometimes, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I can be better and say, like, uh, there's just my Instagram's filled with reels and stuff. But then you can also, you know, it's this, Digital photography has allowed me to have, you know, many images in many places in different countries, in different languages, in different markets, where before I would have one still slide that could go to one magazine or, or one company. So it has opened up more opportunities than closed. Um, and sure, like uh, mountain biking is a is a sport that you want, it's got motion and you want to, like you definitely want to see a video of someone hitting a corner but sometimes if the photo is good enough and strong enough like a single image can convey a certain emotion or get a response so yeah there's less importance on photography now than definitely than 10 years ago but there's definitely still very much a place on that and then as all digital communication there's there's space for moving images and still images so they both serve their place but yeah yeah so definitely perhaps look into doing both don't just do one you know learn all the editing techniques as well as the photographic techniques and being an editor is probably as important or more important than just being a filmer you know telling a story so whether you're a photographer or a filmer you want to tell a story and that comes down to the editing and how you tell the story so that's kind of the yeah answer i mean there. people that can yeah people that can layer their skills like add two or three high-end skills on top of each other like sven you you do a lot of journalism i think you're storytelling you're writing articles as well as photography so someone says well i'm gonna hire sven because i'm gonna get the pictures and oh and he can write me a thousand words no problem and speaking of that i i almost think it's like fashion there's going to be these cycles and looking at that misspent summer's the yearbook from Downhill and Endura that you and Boris and um, I, I could Sebastian, the other one, and Sebastian, of course, that contribute to that. Uh, I've got it on the on the coffee table and I've got it at the bike shop. And maybe I don't look I don't at the whole a, book all in one go. You don't have a copy. I mean, 
no, you go, go to the hangar bike shop for the first time. I've seen. Yeah, it go to the hangar. Go to the hangar biker. I took a copy there because I think those things are timeless, and I think there is a, a a time and a place for still pictures. And it's so nice opening up and getting the double spread picture. You know, like oh, we used to look as as kids. So, um, dude, thanks so much for your time. Miles, I know you were also a little under the weather, so maybe it was good that we had Sven here that can talk our ears off. Um, we pause those questions. All the listeners, you guys rock. Just sending me the feedback, all the positive remarks. It's so cool. It makes it worth it. Uh, send us feedback. Send us questions. You know, we kind of here to serve you guys. Uh, I love the sport of downhill. I like mountain biking in general. Yes, it's kind of a downhill show, but... Uh, Till the next one, if you can leave us a review, that'll be wicked. Sven, Sven, a, a thank you. And Miles from Bike Networks putting out some awesome content that is uh, global as well. It's not just South African based. So yeah, send us those next ones. Till the next ones, peace. Do you think um, Santa Cruz? Do you think Santa Cruz are going to Google how much like a new Porsche costs if they want to keep Jackson when he's up for resigning? I almost already, pressed stop, already done. but I know I almost pressed stop, and I. I always do it. I press stop, and then the guest lets out the banger. Um, well, the former, the former owner of Santa, the former owner of Santa Cruz used to have Porsches, so that would have been yeah. he would have he'll he would know, and he could probably source one. But, uh, yeah, but where are they going to get these Porsches, dude? They're like shortlisted. Like you can barely yeah, get no, Rolexes and Porsches these days. No, I believe once you're in the club, you're in the club. So, and you can get access to them once you're in the true, club. True, true. We are clearly not in but, the club, there, Miles. But yeah, yeah. But you, um, but going in, going into the whole Porsche thing, and it's good seeing these athletes. They deserve to be able to be, if they want to like buy a Porsche and not a house or something, they can waste their money or whatever. But it's good that the sport is healthy enough that they're are people that are able to do that, you know, and there's a couple of riders. It's not just Porsches, it's whatever. And, but my hope and goal for the sport in general is that just, it's not just the top five and 10 are making good, good money. And then everyone's making McDonald's salary, you know, like literally when you're out of the top 20 or out of the top 30, you know, then, then you, you can make more money working at McDonald's, which that, that my goal is that for riders like 10 through 50, for them to not buy a Porsche, but for them to like, you know, be able is to buy a Is that the number? Corona. Maybe like, is that the number? I, I don't know. Because just... how many people should be making money? Because there's the other side of the coin. Like the more people we support in every different angle, even with free parts, um, then there's less to go around. So what is the number in our sport? Like in tennis, what number makes a good living? Golf, super different sport. It's more mainstream. Then you've got F1. You've got, 12 guys making millions so yeah, you just, you i wonder just don't what that number is like you just i, what you I don't, want I don't the guys that, that can massive i don't want to see that massive drop off you know you get you get i agree no i agree making a lot and then there's a big drop off and you know and there's a little bit of people in the middle that are making good money and you know but uh you know there's only very very few not that you should be able to retire when you finish racing bikes at 30 and never work again i'm not saying that either uh, but like, you should probably you know, be close to being able to have it like a middle yeah, if, class if you're the average top, life yeah, yeah but you you should if you're like one of the top 20 in the world and on tv you should also make more than like someone like that's not risking their lives and you know could could make it a minimum wage job you what know do you, if you think miles like given talent like if it's if this you see like 30 is that the number but yeah if you're on tv week in and week out you should be making some good money not just the top five top 10 guys 
So yeah, I wonder I what that number money is. And I think the the big money and the deep money. So you, to get away from that drop off scenario lies outside of the bike industry. Um, I think the bike industry puts in so much as is. And I think the big money lies with finance, motoring, you know, hospitality, health, you know, those those kinds of industries. Only That's fans, where only fans is in mountain biking, dude. You see that shit? I, 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 I reserve comment. Oh, but I, that's was, gonna be I like, was wondering if it was going to make gonna it be onto like, the podcast. That's going to be like Vero was four years ago. Four years ago, everyone said Vero is the new Instagram. Instagram's dead. It's all going to be Vero. So everyone rushed to open. I think it was Vero. I was going to say, Vero? I don't even know what you're saying right now. Everyone rushed to open this up and everyone was saying Vero, Vero. And I'm like, really? Where is it now? And I, uh, yeah, so I don't know about OnlyFans, but looks to me like a no but mainstream is a good, a good point a good point like back in travel when... hospitality well and and the riders do have to they got to have have some depth like we said at the moment there's four or five months racing they need as much as they don't want to yeah. like they, you know obviously social media is a component if you if you know if you're not if you're winning races you can maybe slack off a bit or somebody's doing it for you you know someone's doing your social media so you have to offer a bit more than just a, a one-dimensional racer if you want to captivate you know potential audience and salary for more than just four months um yeah and any on other... this topic i got one yeah. more i got one more thing to add i think if you're running a top team with big budgets having three top riders is a good idea because i think it actually alleviates some of that one-on-one -on -one competition um where the, which can create a little bit of animosity but if there's only two top riders but as soon as you got three top riders in there like say syndicate has right now three top riders anyone can win and obviously what specialized have done i actually like it because you like you said you uh you, you, injuries can happen and you're kind of covering that base but also it also dilutes the pressure within the squad a little bit so yeah but um, I, I also think to be an elite factory team um and for the good of the sport uh, down the line yeah if you if a team can bankroll three top elite riders definitely um fair play but it almost should be a prerequisite that you have to have a female and a junior um on the team uh it, it's yeah, sometimes it's hard because like the juniors graduate out of juniors and then there's maybe not the ideal junior to sign and one's ready the next year. So fair, fair enough on that. But there's a couple of like big factory teams that, you know, haven't had a, a, a female racer or a supported junior racing, you know. Um, and then next year with the World Cup, you know, we, ha we've, we have more competitive women's field than we've ever had before. And then they reduce the amount qualifying from 15 down to 10. And that's like, that's further knocking the women's, you know, they've been closer and more of them closer to each other than ever before. And now you're even reducing it further to 10 rather than 15. And, and that's like not cool either. Um, and it, it sucks that this is an add on to a long podcast and it only gets mentioned now. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, there should be farming talent and then that, you know, and then if, if people know there's a choice to get picked up as a junior, that, that creates some development within each country of these junior race series. And I'm looking at like, there's a couple of girls in New Zealand that are under 17. So they're not even in junior and they've had the fastest one girl has had fastest time of day. She's beaten Jenna Hastings, the world champion that's now racing in elites, uh, junior world champion that's now racing elites. And, and 
this under 17 that's not even junior this year has had fastest time of the day at three of the nationals down in New Zealand. So she'll be junior next year. So we'll see who snaps her up then. Um, but yeah, so like these kind of people, you know, it should, you know, um, there should be a, a career path and, and yeah. And the federations aren't making it any easier. So like maybe the teams and the industry with the outside money that we hopefully comes in, they can support junior and women's racing more, you know, more strongly. I'm going to show my age. They're going to have to have homeschooling at these events because now if you're kind of incentivizing all these juniors to get teams and come out onto the circuit, they're not going to finish school, Sven. Shit, dude. Yeah, no. You're going to be a, uh, yeah, to be for, a parent. Schooling's important. <laughs> yeah, for, for Americans and Europeans, they have long summer breaks, but for Southern Hemisphere people, generally our winter break is real short. So, yeah, for sure. No, you're screwed, school. dude. You're like the – the gap, the gap for these other countries to make it, it's like we all know these pro teams are going to the junior ranks, looking at the top riders and then signing them. Luckily, when yeah, I but- was coming out, there was like a few juniors that would do a few World Cups and then you needed to show your shit once you went to elite. But now you could almost do two years of junior racing because you get the experience yeah. of the tracks and stuff. Like Finn, he was pre-riding the tracks before juniors. I mean that yeah, guy's experience. Allowed, yeah. By the time he, but by the time he was first year elite, he had almost three years of World Cup track experience. But he's a, you know, but that's a that's a tangent for a whole nother day. Yeah, but he kept on. He he in the off season he was going to university still when he finished high school. So and still no, that's cool. A no, a lot racer. of them so do. You, you can, you know, there, there are flexible flexible ways to study post. I think Loic as well. Loic finished his studies. That yeah, was yeah. pretty he impressive was, as well. He was like an intern and, uh, and specialized. And, yeah. and Miriam's carried on doing all sorts of um, studies. Um, oh, all the girls man, are, are way more qualified you know, than the guys, for sure. Not allowed to say girls. You got it right two minutes ago. Women. Come on, Sven. All the ladies. We almost got through this podcast without getting canceled. Almost. All right. On that note, he might let me finish, but that just surely shows us Finn and Miles are going to come back on. This is a great trio. You guys know what to do. Like, subscribe, send us messages, give us some shit, have a rant at us, and uh, till the next one, peace. Of all the photos you could find of me, you found me on a standing on a portable toilet, dude. What's up with that? He's not going to – yeah, but how good was it? I was like, when he's not taking pictures from a portable toilet, he's very – I mean, I was just – I looked through both Instagrams and I was like, which one can I give him a bit of shit? It's like a backhanded compliment. Backhanded I thought it was funny. I thought it's funny, dude. Come on. And then did you like my next one? <laughs> uh, then I, I found you the with the one. most dirty face I could find. No, the oh, yeah, next yeah. one I put on the stories, you were like, could you find a worse picture? I was like, don't worry. I've got a worse <laughs> picture. You're covered in <laughs> dust and shit. I said, how about this uh, one, Sven? <laughs> That was from that was from Manar and Jackson in Portugal exactly to the day, yesterday a year ago, I was getting roosted by them on that photograph. And then yeah. you told Greg to do another run, and he didn't want to do another run because he wasn't feeling comfortable, and he effed his thumb. That was probably the one and he now, just got fixed. So stop and doing now he that. Just had surgery. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hmm. I, so you made my point for up. me. I didn't sign him up for that shoot. You can always do it better. <laughs> Uh, all right i'm about to press stop if you want to hear more of sven he needs to start his own podcast i gotta go cheers miles watch cheers sven. Watch, watch his face like cheers, cheers, cheers sven cheers guys. <laughs> i've always taken my health very seriously 
but I must admit it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do, I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well.